Should we go? Yeah! Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Hi! Oh. <laughs> Sorry, your face. Sometimes you look really disappointed in me. Like right, when, I, when I edit the podcast, I say something that I think is hilarious. And I only, I can see your face. And you're just like, I'm like, oh god, and then I hear the disappointment in your in your in your sigh that isn't from true. the other side, and I'm it's never. so like, oh, I'm I'm, no, no, you. This is you. This is that's all in your head. I'm not disappointed in you ever. Okay, sorry, I won't do a sound now. <laughs> Only while I'm doing the intro, you can make sounds the rest of the time. Two friends just made a podcast. Two good friends just made a podcast. Hi, and welcome to the 82nd episode of the Universe's Greatest Podcast, Culture Bucket. This is the podcast in which two best friends talk about all things pop culture, be it movies, films, which is the same as movies, but also music and books occasionally, and sometimes video games. Uh, today we are doing a special uh, deep dive review of Better Call Saul, the Breaking Bad spin-off that finished over the summer and um, stole all of our hearts uh or at least one one particular character uh did and um yeah and i am george your host and i cannot talk about better call saul on my own it would be dull so with me is your other host alex hi alex you may now make noise hi george hi everyone <laughs> how you doing george today very good, thank you. Today, uh, it's been a busy weekend, and it's conti- going to continue to be busy until Monday. So it's good to be busy because you can't stop and think about the state of the world or your life. So yeah, I like it. <laughs> Starting on a very how are great you? Note. I am good, thank you very much. Uh, I'm very busy too, good. but uh, not for the same busy as you are. Ha ha. Mm. Yes, you don't have to strip my bed and wash my bed sheets today. So no, no, I don't have to do that. No, it's a beautiful autumny day in Italy, and it feels good not to be hot anymore. Yeah, I'm quite hot, and I don't. I think, but I think it's like anxiety heat rather than actual temperature yeah. heat. If that makes sense. That's yeah. What well, what 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 anxiety is struck in you? Than, you know, just a normal work-related anxiety. Yeah, uh, we were talking before we September. started recording how I don't have that teacher anxiety anymore, and I feel pretty good. Good, good, <laughs> good. But I love my job, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> that sounded extremely convincing, George. Yeah, I mean, my phone has just told me that Rishi Sunak has said he won't rule out uh, blackouts during the winter. You know, it's, thank you, in, Rishi. We live, we live in a modern world; it's great. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he can he can say whatever he wants. So he's not going to be in power. So whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the, the alternative is way better. Um, <laughs> right. Before we get into 
culture catch up, let's up top for once say, hey now, if you're listening to this, um, I hope you're enjoying it. And also, if you are enjoying it, go and tell the world you're enjoying it via the yeah. medium of Apple Podcast review ratings and, and even maybe write up a little review. Oh. Um, and you know nice. what? If we get some, if we get some written reviews on Apple Podcasts, um, I will read them out on the podcast. However, in people in different, people in different areas, like in fact, we may have had reviews on like American Apple Podcasts that I haven't even seen, because I think you have to like be in America to see the American ratings. Does that make sense? Because mm. I just see the two. The two lovely reviews we've had um, from listeners in the UK. Uh, maybe I'll have to try and um, see that. Uh, if you do a review uh, on on a on a on a um, on a public platform for our podcast, take a little screenshot and email it to um, email it to us at culturebucketpodcast@gmail.com. That's our email address. Take a screenshot of your reviews, email it there. I'll read it out on the podcast and say, "Hey, thank you so much for doing that." And um, it'll be a lovely, it'll give you a lovely warm feeling to know that you've helped in some way and um, get in touch with us over social media and, and, and start that conversation. It'd be lovely to hear from you. And let, you know, let, if you watch any of the things or listen to any of the stuff we talk about on here, it would be great to have, you know, a conversation about it and um, know, what, know if you agree or disagree with our views and opinions and yeah, a bit more two way, a bit more of a two way street would be lovely. So please do. Let us know if you're listening and uh, yeah. go and do those reviews and tell your friends about us and get more people to listen. And, and you can um, give us ideas of top fives or specials we could do because, you know. Yeah, you know, we're like, oh, what should we do as a special? If you tell us what you'd like to hear, <laughs> then, um, you know, maybe we'll do that. So tell us what you'd like to hear us do and uh, we'll do it. Um, Culture Catch-Up Time. This is Culture Catch-Up Time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. It's it's my turn first this week, I will believe. Uh, so I'm going to talk about a few things that I went to see, uh, including, including a brand new thriller movie um from america called fall 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 have you heard about fall alex yeah from you last week last uh, two weeks ago last episode but i said i was gonna go and see it right i didn't review yeah. it did... oh, yeah yeah okay. so that's uh i haven't fallen into some kind of a weird time hole um <laughs> yeah so i did go see fall uh, in like a preview screening, but it's out now in general release in the UK. And by by the time this episode is released, yeah, it'll be um watchable um in many places hopefully. Uh, and um, it is a single location thriller. There's a good idea for a top five. Yeah. Yeah, single location thrillers. Single Do you, can you can you think of any of those? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Location thriller. Like Room? Yeah, the Brie Larson movie. Yeah. Yeah, broadly, I mean, without spoiling that movie for anyone who hasn't seen it, it doesn't re- it doesn't remain a single location thriller. Oh, so a so film that remains in the same place the entire time. Sort of so, broadly. Even so, even this movie, Fall, doesn't, tr- doesn't truly stick to that. But a, a movie in which the, the core conceit... I, I'd guess the only issue I have with Room, it sort of does fall into it, but it's too prestigious a movie. Single location thrillers are normally a bit more 
um, they wouldn't win Oscars ordinarily, if that makes sense. So can you give me some examples? Of, well, Fall uh, is an example. Yeah. Um, 47 Meters Down is an example. Uh, a girl yeah. goes um, in a shark cage and it gets detached from the boat she's on and it falls to the bottom of the ocean. Okay. And um, she gets stuck there. Uh, Panic Room sort of fits yeah. this. Uh, okay. This. Um, uh, I was about to say Alien, but no, not, not really Alien. Um, home the Invasion... Thing? The thing, the thing is kind of a single location thriller. Yeah, they 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 venture slightly outside of the uh, mm. the outpost. I mean, to the true spirit of it, it's 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 a very confined location. It should be so. The fall is a perfect example. Forty seven is down. Is thriller going to be any film? For example, The Breakfast Club is a single location movie. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but that, <laughs> that movie sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the Breakfast Club works. Single location film. <laughs> yeah, we can expand it. We can expand it. Anyway, let me talk to you about the fall. <laughs> and you'll understand better. Okay, so we've got okay. Becky and Hunter. Becky yeah. and Hunter open the movie, climbing up a sheer rock face alongside uh, Dan, who is Becky's husband. Uh, Dan, played by Mason Gooding, uh, the mm. son of Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, who, if you've seen the new Scream movie... If you've seen any sort of movie with teenage, uh, like young people in it uh, over the past couple of years, you'll have seen Mason Gooding in one of them because he's, he's popped up all over the place. Uh, but he's not in this movie very long because tragically, very early on in the first scene, um, Dan is surprised by a bird, falls off the cliff and dies. Oh no. Mm. Cut to one year later, um, widow Becky is no longer a um, freewheeling climber. She's now an, a young alcoholic um, throwing her life away because she is so distraught by the loss of uh, Dan, fair play. Mm. Uh, enter back into her life, Hunter, with a mission to um, help Becky rediscover the spark of joy in her life uh, with a plan an idea, and an idea to climb a 2,000-foot-tall radio tower in the middle of an American desert. Um, 2,000 feet is roughly, I think, like double the height of the Eiffel Tower or something. It's tall. Wow. It's tall. And, in, and, and like a radio tower, like picture, we're talking a single, one single, quite narrow structure. Mm. exposed to the elements made up entirely of like grids of metal girders and stuff um an 1800 foot climb inside a steel cage and then once you reach 1800 feet for the last 200 feet that is a climb and a ladder on the outside of the tower up to a platform at the top of the tower which is broadly the same size as a large pizza um the two girls you know, obviously Becky is convinced to climb the tower. The two girls spend the first portion of the movie climbing the tower. There are scenes during this period of the movie of them climbing up this terrifying structure because, it, I mean, it, 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 it is so narrow. It's like a pipe that's just sticking directly up mm. in the air for 2,000 feet. And it's got these enormous, um, like, steel uh, ropes that come down and hold it in place. Uh, and even they only reach halfway up the tower uh, to kind of keep it stable. Um, and there are scenes 
during this period of the movie that made me feel genuinely quite sick because I do suffer very yeah. mildly really from from some amount of vertigo. Yeah. Um, and these the, the these shots as they're climbing this tower, I imagine a lot of it was done on a soundstage, but it's all done well enough that you, it looks like they're genuinely there. Um, climbing this tower with the camera swooping around them, and you get some, you get they look down and you get a real idea of how high up they are. It made me feel quite unwell. Um, then they get to the top of the tower, and unsurprisingly, part of the ladder breaks away, and they are trapped atop a two thousand foot tall structure in the middle of nowhere with no clear and obvious way to get to the bottom. Um, and then of course they have to spend the next um, hour of the movie trying to survive and work out how to get back down and mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know part of the joy of a single location movie like this especially like a we're trapped here kind of a movie mm. is in terms of being like right they're at the top they're stuck there's an hour left how are you going to keep this going and seeing the different ways in which the filmmakers manage to keep the tension high without having to move to a new location and you get all sorts of like drone there's drones involved there's uh flare guns involved there's sort of hillbillies on the on the horizon uh (laughs) that maybe can they see them can they not see them there's all sorts of things coming to play and um i really enjoyed it It it's a really entertaining movie it's not a masterpiece it's not doing anything that hasn't really been done before uh like the producers this movie previously made 47 meters down and I've seen this movie uh, sort mm. of derisively referred to as 47 metres up because it's it's effectively the same idea as that movie, but <laughs> flipped. Okay. So instead of, instead of being trapped at the bottom of the ocean, you're trapped basically uh, at the top of the sky. Yeah. Um, but it's good. The two the two leads, um, you've got uh, Grace Caroline, what's her full name here? Grace Curry um, as uh, Becky and Virginia Gardner as Hunter um, are are entertaining enough hunter's quite unlikable but there are sort of reasons for that that the film gets into mm. um but she's she's entertaining with it she sort of is like a, a amateur youtuber um and does all the kind of annoying things that youtubers do um but is is good and it's yeah i i had a good time with this film it has it, it, it attempts to do what it thinks is quite a clever twist at one point and actually kind of isn't really but um and, and kind of uh, undercuts some of its own tension with this twist. But other than that, uh, yeah, a good film. I'd recommend seeing it fall. And some of those early scenes in The Clown in the Tower genuinely will make you feel quite unwell. Or very hmm. unwell. Yeah. Doesn't sound, seem like a good idea from the start to climb a, tra- a tower. No, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, these the people who like to go and do, like, climbing, not climbing like a mountain, but climbing a sheer cliff face, yeah. like, without any real sort of uh, support. Um, you know, like, uh, in fact, there was a very, there's a very early scene, there's a scene very early on where one of them calls the other one Ethan Hunt, uh, which is a reference to Tom Cruise's character in Mission Impossible, because yeah. the, the second Mission Impossible movie famously opens with Tom Cruise genuinely, um, climbing up this sheer rock face. Mm. Um, and the people who do that, sort of, the, the fact that it's a bad idea is part of what makes it appealing to them. Yeah, and in in reality, when people do things like that, it sometimes it can be quite difficult to have all the empathy in the world for them when they get stuck up there on Mount Everest or wherever it is, mm. because they've decided to go and plonk themselves there. But removed from that, as a as a piece of entertainment, fictional film, you know, it's it's a thrilling thing to watch. Mm. But I I don't want to. I'm not going to go and climb a thing myself. <laughs> Up next, I've got The Invitation for you. 
Now, stop right there. Thank you very much. I'm not talking about the 2018 movie, The Invitation, directed by Karen Kasama, which is a masterpiece and that you derided foolishly. (laughs) Um, It's it's not a good film. It really is, and it's it's widely considered to be a good film. Anyway, um, I'm talking about the 2022 American but English setting um, supernatural horror movie directed by Jessica Ann Thompson, written by some people and starring uh, Natalie Emmanuel, who Game of Thrones viewers will know as, um, I think she's, her character's called Missandei in that first series. Uh, she's amazing in that. And she's also in the Fast and Furious, the recent Fast and Furious movies. Um, I can't remember the name of the character in those films, but um, Natalie Emmanuel has been in various things recently. She started, her career started in the, uh, Hollyoaks of all places um, but she's she's come a long way since then and rightfully so because she's exceptionally charismatic and you know she's a good actor and I'm glad that she's getting work let's say uh, Ramsey she plays Ramsey in um, in the Fast and Furious movies so she plays a character who we are introduced to in um, called Evie and we're introduced to her working in a um as a, as a waitress in New York, and she's a struggling artist. She's recently lost her mother. She lost her father earlier in life, so she's feeling very alone. And through various plot contrivances, she does a genealogy test and discovers that she has um, long-lost cousins from England. Ooh. Ooh. And um, one of these cousins immediately gets in touch and says, hey, I'm going to be in New York next week. Do you fancy meeting up for a cup of tea? Because that's what the British like to do. And um, she says, yes, okay, go on then. And um, she meets up with this guy, and in a very get-out-inspired um, thing, her best friend, uh, Victoria, played by... No, not Victoria, sorry. Uh, da, 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 da. Grace, played by Courtney Taylor, who is very good in this movie, but only on screen for about five minutes, uh, tells her not to go because don't trust, you know white people, etc., because Natalie Emanuel is uh, a black actress. So it sort of tries to play with those tropes a bit, but it doesn't really do them justice. It sort of is, like, quite... I don't know. Anyway, she meets up with her cousin, Oliver, who explains that she is the great-granddaughter of um, a woman uh, who was part of the family that he's part of, who had an illicit affair with a footman, and um, a black so a black footman, scandalously. What's confusing? I don't know. Yeah, I'm okay. She meets up with her her long lost cousin from England, who explains that she is the great granddaughter or great great granddaughter of a woman from their family who had an illicit affair with a black step uh, footman. Uh, and the footman took the took her great grandmother her grandmother and um, moved to America, and she grew up apart from the rest of the family. Uh, because it was a bit of a scandal, but now the family is is eager to welcome her back with open arms, and um, he says there's going to be a wedding in a few weeks in England. You should come. We'll pay for your flight. You get to meet the whole family. Uh, Uncle, whatever his name is, is ninety four, so this is maybe your only chance to meet him. So she agrees to be flown over to England by this um, by this family that she's found out she's part of, and. Um, the only bit of the movie that got me excited was when he says, please come over, it'll be a lovely couple of weeks in Whitby, Yorkshire. And I was like, aha, I love Whitby, Yorkshire. I go there all the time on holiday. Um, 
and it is iconically, and this is where the movie immediately tips its hat as to what it's going to be about, it is iconically an important setting in the classic novel Dracula. Oh. Mm. So I was I was like, oh, I was in Whitby recently. They didn't mention that a film had filmed there. I wonder which bits of Whitby they're going to film in. None bits of Whitby <laughs> is the answer. Uh, she flies, She we see her arriving at the airport. She walks past a big picture of Whitby. And I was like, oh, there's Whitby, a photograph of Whitby. And then the next scene is she's arriving at this big mansion uh, in the middle of a forest that doesn't look like anywhere that I've seen near Whitby. And um, the rest of the movie takes place basically exclusively in this mansion. So the fact that it's set in Whitby is arbitrary. Um, she uh, she gets to this mansion. She very quickly realises that she... The, this movie wants to be a gothic, spooky romance where she meets mm. the lord of the manor, Walter Deville. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> Deville. Oh, wow. Do you get it? Yeah. Deville. Deville. And Great cousin of Cruella Deville. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and she is swept off her feet <gasps> by him, and they fall very quickly in love. And, um, you know, sorry if you've not been paying attention, but it ultimately <laughs> turns out that he's Dracula, and oh. um, he wants her as his immortal bride. Nice. Yeah. Um, the movie spends... The movie makes it clear pretty much immediately, and if you've seen the trailer, you go in knowing this, that that's where the film's going, is is made clear immediately to you. Like, especially once you get to this mansion and he's like, this is Mr. Devil. Some people call him <laughs> Son of the Dragon, um, etc. Uh, but it takes about, it takes like literally an hour or so with a handful of like spooky, oh, who's that in the corner there? Why... Um, moments. Uh, it takes like an hour or longer to get to um, the moment where it tips its hand and, and they start actually running about and being Draculas and stuff. Mm. And uh, it's terrible. <laughs> it is awful. The guy playing um, Walter Deville or Dracula uh, is, I guess, extremely handsome, mm. but has zero charisma and mm. no chemistry with Natalie Emmanuel. And I looked it up afterwards, and like the entire movie, all of the dialogue, all of the, all of the, especially the flirting and the romance between those two, feels like you're watching um, something on the CW or some other teen network. <laughs> oh it feels goodness. like you're watching an old episode of Smallville or mm. something like that. And I looked it up afterwards, and this guy, Thomas Doherty, who mostly appears to have made Disney Channel original movies and TV shows in the okay. rest of his career, so it kind of becomes clear what they're working with and natalie emmanuel who is a genuinely fantastic actor does her best to elevate the material but doesn't really work <laughs> um he also looks like a sort of a snake man this guy he like yeah I'm what i'm looking at him now yeah he's he he looks very evil and it's not i don't know this is a this is a bad film mm. this is a really bad film uh there's no redeeming qualities to it at all Please don't watch it. Where where did you find? Did you go to the cinema? I went to the stupid bloody cinema to see this film. Not only did I go to the cinema, but I thought I had timed it so that I could see this and then see Three Thousand Years of Longing, mm. um, the Idris Elba, Tilda Swinton genie movie yeah. that I was hoping to talk about today. And this movie overran longer than I expected it to, and I was too late to go and see no. Three Thousand Years of Longing. 
So it stopped me from seeing another movie, which, um, according to Mark Commode, is also bad. So maybe it saved me. Um, I'm on Rotten Tomatoes now, and yeah. there's a the picture like the first video is like him trying to, uh, bite her, and it looks horrendous anyway. Yeah, just the, like it's really silly, and yeah. it's got twenty percent. Yep, it's, it's tr- really bad. Oh yeah, it's pretty pretty terrible. Um, it's. Yeah, I, I, and the reason I went to see it is because it's a horror movie and I kind of like to watch anything that's a horror movie, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And it was the last day it was on in the cinema. So I was like, if I don't go and see it today, I, I'm just never going to see it. And frankly, I'd have been happier to have never seen it, but <laughs> this is the world we live in. Anyway, that's that's The Invitation. Um, if yeah. you're going to watch a movie called The Invitation, watch the other movie called The Invitation. I think even you'd agree, Alex, that that is better. <laughs> Probably. I think, okay, the next film i'm going to talk to you about is a movie where i'm gonna to have to um I'm, I'm, we're gonna to have to watch the trailer together oh we're starting on my tube straight away kind of because I, I don't think it's really possible to talk to you about this without you having seen the trailer okay i'm gonna send you this video you open it up you tell me what it's called and then we'll watch this trailer together okay so uh, George sent me a, a video of a film called Blackbird. Yes. Did you just yes. pause it where the actual trailer starts? Yeah. Okay, so let me just get to that point as well. Because there's this crazy exclusive clips. Yeah, well, there's another... The official official trailer for this sort of tips the hand about what it is, so I don't want to... The title of it, it gives away too much, so we're going to watch this sort of... Up so are we, are we starting from zero? No, we'll start from five seconds. Five, okay. Ready. Okay. So, we'll watch this and I'll talk about the movie. You ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Great what? start. They're, yeah. a, they're in a funeral. And it's raining. And an English accent, maybe? So... Irish accent? Irish accent. Irish. But they're in London... And it looks like a thriller. Somebody dies. He's extremely dangerous. This is our chance. The acting doesn't seem extremely good because <laughs> this is our chance. Victor has to be involved. I don't know any actors in this film. The Blackbird is dead. It looks like one of those. Weird tra- It just looks like a really old school trailer. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. Do you see that shot of him trying to look like he can kiss a lady? Yeah. Oh, I know that actor. Oh, you'll know Eric Roberts. Yeah. Famously will appear in any movie for any amount of money. Yeah, it's just like lots of dialogue and like, I'm going to do this. I'm angry, out of control, and the music is really solemn. <laughs> oh, is he supposed to be like a like a 007 kind of guy? Is he a spy? He's a spy. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a ridiculous trailer. So that is a trailer for the movie Blackbird, which was made originally, I think, in 2018, but only just came out now okay. in select cinemas. It is a movie that was produced, funded... Written, 
directed by and starring the famed Irish dancer Michael Flatley. Oh! <laughs> it's like Room. No, The Room. It kind of like a new The Room. Yeah. Wow. Have you heard of Michael Flatley before? Um, I've seen... Is it... Is it is it the Irish, the flam- famous Irish dancing thing? Yeah, River Dance. Yeah, I've seen him before. Yeah, River Dance. So he's a man who's he's sixty. He's sixty four now. But I think he was sixty when the movie was made, and he is. Uh, I think his value is somewhere in the region of three hundred and fifty million dollars. He's an Irish American, mm. famous, world famous dancer. Um, I know him primarily from like um. Growing up in a very Irish Catholic area of Manchester, uh, Irish dancing was quite a big part of my childhood in, in a lot of ways. Not me doing it personally, that would be h- horrendous, but um, <laughs> sort of seeing it. And um, on lots of videos and other places, like VHS tapes you'd get when you were a kid of like English films would yeah. have adverts at the start of them for river dance videos and there'd be all these shots of all these people dancing yeah. at the, f- the centre of it would be Michael Flatley the world's greatest uh, river dancing Lord of the Dance Man. Um, so I've always known him as sort of just like this confusing figure. Uh, and he'd often, you know, river dance tours all over the world and it would come to Manchester mm. and I'd always see posters for it and be like, that's a, I'm not going to go to that. Um, but then it, it turns out that he has dreams of being in movies. And um, now that he has $350 million to his name, he can afford to just make a film. So this is from Dance Lord Productions. It's called Blackbird. <laughs> and uh, he wrote it and directed it and he stars in it. And um, yesterday was National Cinema Day in the UK, mm. where... In all the big cinema chains, every movie ticket cost £3. It didn't matter what oh, film you were going to go and see. Nice. Um, and Blackbird was not being screened at the cinema I usually go to. I have my unlimited cards um, and can see all the movies I want. It was only being screened in the Odeon in the centre of Manchester in one screening yesterday. So I paid my £3 and I hopped along to watch it. And it is one of the most horrifically bad and terrible things I've ever sat through. The fact that this, the fact that this man, is powerful enough that he can make this, and have it be shown in cinemas like it's a real film, is astonishing. It's the most poorly written thing I've ever seen. It's the most poorly acted and choreographed and directed thing I've ever seen. The the primary joy to be found in the movie is witnessing how many different hats Michael Flatley can wear (laughs) and how many different angles he can discover to wear his hat. He will never wear a hat at a straight angle, minimum 45 degrees (laughs) at the absolute minimum in every single scene. We start with a fedora. We move on to a straw hat of various different straw hats. There's a flat hat cap at one point that he still wears at a big jaunty angle. There's one particular moment in the movie where he gets very angry and we know he's angry because he bellows at somebody loudly, which is how humans display anger. And he storms away and he tears off his his straw hat. He hands it to somebody and they, without skipping a beat, immediately hand him back a flat cap and he pops that on because he can never be without a hat uh, for more than four seconds. Um, and then he drives away in a big sports car and a lovely wow. lady uh, tries to take him on. Um, he's He's 60 when he made this movie. He's surrounded at all times by other men who are 60 and above 
and women, none of whom are, can be over the age of 30, and all oh of whom goodness. are desperate for the adoration of uh, Victor Blackley, uh, who we are told can do anything. Um, at one point in the movie, a beautiful woman walks into his room, strips off all her clothes and stands in front <gasps> of his bed, and he goes... He shakes his head and he slowly walks over to her and he, he grabs her by the arm and he escorts her from the room and he says, not today. And he closes the door. No! Because <laughs> he's a oh, troubled no. man and he doesn't need beautiful young women to fling themselves at him. <sighs> um, It's not a... You shouldn't watch I it. just found a poster. Oh, yeah, the poster's pretty And good. it says, winner Michael Flatley, best actor... Monaco Film Festival 2021. Do you think that's real? Well, so the internet was lit on fire yesterday and the day before by Mark Commode, the famous British um, yeah. film critic's review of this film, where he also was perplexed by the insistence that Michael Flatley won a Best Acting Award for this. And he described it better than anyone else could. And Mark Commode said that the only way that can be true is if the other nominees for that award were a selection of furniture and an animated <laughs> version of the little stick man in ikea instructions that tell you not to hit the uh, furniture with a hammer which is that's very amazing. good that's why mark yeah. gets paid the big money for, for yeah. Films. yeah um yeah so i don't know what that means but he there's no way that anyone ever looked at this and said that's a good acting performance it's truly oh shocking uh, even, even the trailer is shocking yeah, it is. There's a very good moment where a very, very large man who's about as big as a small car um, attempts to fight uh, Michael Flatley, who is a small um, 60-year-old man. <laughs> and um, in just three punches, Michael Flatley kills this guy, which is oh, wow. uh, impressive. Um, and then later, there's a very, there's a, there's a, there's a, you're waiting the entire, because the actual plot of the movie is that he, uh, he's somebody close to him died in these inscrutable flashbacks where nothing makes sense. Somebody dies. He's devastated. That's the funeral we see, which is at the start of the movie in the trailer as well. And, uh, 10 years later, he's now quit being a big spy and he runs a, in a sort of homage to Casablanca, he runs a nightclub come hotel in Barbados called the Blue monsoon or the blue mountain the blue blue lagoon mm. the blue something yeah um and uh just coincidentally uh another woman that loves him turns up with her fiance who is eric roberts who's the actor you recognized who's the big baddie mm. um and he's gonna do a big naughty deal to sell um a code that could kill all the people in the world to uh some baddies um and you kind of get an idea of what Michael Flatley's worldview might be in the terms that these bad guys are called things like Ahmed, uh, which no! is uh, yeah, not oh, great. Oh, goodness gracious me. Yeah. Uh, it all culminates in a gunfight wherein Eric Roberts and his henchmen and Michael Flatley and his um, fellow spies stand across from each other in a junkyard and just fire their guns without moving. <laughs> oh, my Lord. This, like, you... This guy has had fame and fortune for years. Why don't you just retire? Like, that? this is just such a vanity project, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's the ultimate vanity project. But I can't fault him too much. If I had $350 million, I think I would self-fund my own movie where I get to be James Bond. So, you know, 
Fair play to Michael Flatley, but nobody else should be um, forced uh, to watch it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's bad, but it's definitely going to become iconic alongside... Because there's a thing with bad movies where, like, bad movies are really enjoyable in some ways. Like, a, yeah. a bad movie what, that has been made with total sincerity, like The Room or Blackbird, is a joyous yeah. thing, for, in my opinion, because it's... I'm not the first person to make this sort of comparison. I read this on Letterboxd, but somebody was talking about how Roger Ebert used to describe movies as a machine for empathy, wherein you can see, uh, get an insight into the mind of like the director or something. And mm. like these bad movies that are made with this total level of sincerity are incredible windows into the vision of, of a madman, whether it's Tommy Wiseau or whether it's Michael Flatley. The thing I don't have time for are movies like Sharknado, wherein mm. somebody quite cynical has said, people enjoy making fun of bad movies, let's make a bad movie that they can pay us to make fun of. So, because people often go, oh, you, should like, you like The Room, you should watch Sharknado to me. And, I'm, and I, in my head, I'm like, oh. Outwardly, I go, yeah, maybe I will watch that. And, but in my head, I'm going, yeah. I don't like you anymore, and I want to go and talk to somebody else. Um, but yeah, so Blackbird... You shouldn't watch it, but also if you have an opportunity to watch it, maybe watch it because I don't know if it's going to be available widely for long. Yeah. Um, whether or not this turns upon something like Netflix depends on whether Michael Flatney's dignity outweighs his vanity, and we'll, I guess, discover <laughs> discover that to be true in the coming months. But yeah, Blackbird, pretty incredible, <laughs> pretty amazing. Um. How do you wear his his hats? They're like, I've never seen anyone in reality wear a hat at the angle he wears his hat. It's 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 mm. pretty impressive. Um, yeah, yeah. Sounds amazing. It is. It's pretty good. Anyway, um, that's Blackbird. Uh, duh, 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 duh. I'll just very quickly talk about a TV show that I watched, or at least I watched the first two episodes of, uh, The Lord of the Rings: The Rings ah. of Power. I'm excited to hear about this. The most expensive TV show of all time. Oh, really? Wow. Amazon has committed uh, a billion dollars to fund five seasons of this show. Um, set within the second age of Middle-earth, um, which Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, the creator of Lord of the Rings, wrote about pretty much exclusively in appendices at the back of the uh, Lord of the Rings novels. Um, so not based on any particular story, but based mm. on the history of Middle Earth. Um, as a result, extreme licenses had to be taken to craft a watchable TV show out of it. Uh, there were huge gaps within the history that Tolkien provided, and um, events take place over such a huge length of time mm. that uh, the the creators of the show have said that if they followed to the letter the timeline that Tolkien laid out characters you know every season all the human characters would die and new human characters would have to be introduced um because of how long it takes for things to happen mm. but because elves are immortal etc etc so they can you know last a long time but humans don't anyway it, it, it has arrived with no short degree of controversy some of it broadly warranted if you're a Tolkien extremist and you are pretty beholden to the letter of the law as he laid it down. Um, you know, it's been described by plenty of people, especially some people I've spoken to, as fan fiction, mm. uh, which 
I personally don't have much time for because it's an officially licensed Lord of the Rings production, whether you like it or not. Um, mm. And they've decided to make this show based on a pretty patchy set of notes that he that he left behind. And if you can take, if you need to take license with that to make a watchable TV show, in my opinion, that's fine. It's an adaptation. It's not like a documentary. Um, yeah. But a lot of Tolkien fans have taken exception to this. Some of them in bad faith, in my opinion, around arguments concerning the fact that there have been some actors who aren't white cast in roles. Uh, the first ever black elf in a Lord of the Rings thing has created controversy with morons, in my opinion. Um, the mm. Daily Mail has written its fair share of articles about go woke, go broke, etc. regarding the mm. show. Um, as a result, it was plagued with negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It has yeah, something so. like a 85% positive score from critics mm. and like a 36% negative score from users. Um, but to give that some context, and I'm not saying all of those reviews are in bad faith, and I'm not saying all of the people that reviewed it haven't actually watched it. I'm not saying that. However... Let's look at something like, for example, what's a big TV show at the moment? Let's go with She-Hulk, which is probably also suffering from some negative reviews. Yeah. So She-Hulk she has... Season 1 of She-Hulk is sitting at um, 87% positive from critics, and there's 447 ratings from critics. 50%, which counts as negative on Rotten Tomatoes because you have to be 60 or above to be, to be fresh. Uh, that's from 6,702 user reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah? We look at something mm. else, maybe House of the Dragon. Okay, season one of House of the Dragon is sitting at... Um, it's doing fairly well for itself. 85% from critics with 575 reviews. 84% from audiences with 3,323 reviews. Well done to House of the Dragon. Uh, the final season of Better Call Saul, which we're about to talk about today... Um, is doing exceptionally well for itself. The final season of Better Call Saul has got 99% from critics, 174 reviews in from that, and 95% from audiences, 1,201 reviews from that. So keep those numbers in mind. That was like 3,000-ish reviews for House of the Dragon, uh, 1,200 reviews for Better Call Saul, 6,000 was it for She-Hulk. If we look up Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power... That is currently sitting at a um eighty four percent positive from critics with two hundred and thirty mm. reviews, mm. and thirty eight percent firmly rotten from audiences. How mm. many how many reviews do you reckon it's got from the audience? Probably loads, like thousand, like more than thirty thousand. Not quite that many, but <laughs> fifteen thousand two hundred fifty seven. Yeah, too many. Um. That that's a big disparity in numbers in terms of like, and when I first looked at that audience score yesterday, it was at like thirty four percent, I think. So it's jumped four percent. Could it be because people who've actually watched it have started reviewing it rather than mm. all the people? So a story came out yesterday that Amazon have instituted, um, coincidentally at the same time this premiered, instituted a sort of seventy something hour um review screening process for its own productions uh, on the Amazon website whereby all reviews are held for for 72 hours while they're checked to make sure that the person reviewing it has mm. actually watched it uh before the review is made public 
Um, and that's been widely reported and probably truly is as uh, an attempt to sort of um, screen all the trolls that are determined to kind of sink the show for whatever reasons. Whether your reason is because it's not true to Tolkien's original vision, fine. Or because the female dwarves don't have beards, you're insane. <laughs> Um, although I have been told that, um, according to Tolkien, the length of a female dwarf's beard bears some direct relation to their status or some nonsense. So I guess, um, I don't know, makes me quite I, tired. Have you watched it? I've watched it. There's two episodes. They're both over an hour long. Uh, they introduce us to this vision of Middle Earth in the Second Age. We are firmly... Um, in the world of Galadriel, who was played by Kate Blanchett in the original show, but in this series is played by Morfid Clark, who is unknown to many people, but for me is beloved due to her starring role in the film Saint Maud, which is my favourite movie yeah. of um, I think it was twenty nineteen or twenty 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 maybe. Um, she plays Galadriel in this. Um, again, controversy because Galadriel in this is a warrior. She's fighting. Um, we don't know her in the original Lord of the Rings books to be a fighter, mm. but in one of the notes in the appendices, it states that she fought in a war alongside her brother. So they've spun that off to say, hey, maybe she's a fighter. So she is uh, given, I've seen her in a re one review compared to Batman in, in the um, in the first age, there was a dark lord in, in Middle Earth. I think he was called Morgoth. He got defeated by the elves, but his apprentice, Sauron, who we know and love from the Lord of the Rings, which mm. I think is set in the fourth age or the third age. I'm not sure. Um, uh, rose up after Morgoth was defeated and um, Galadriel's brother uh, decided to take down Sauron. However, unfortunately, uh, Sauron and his forces killed Galadriel's brother. So Galadriel takes on this burden uh, and decides it is now her responsibility to defeat Sauron. Um, and then with an unwavering Batman-like... Um, determination she goes about mm. trying to search down mm. Sauron. Everyone else is saying, look, no orcs or, or Sauron, no one, no evil forces at all have been seen within hundreds and hundreds of years. Let it go. Da 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 da. In the premiere episode she is um given this uh what is supposed to be a blessing by the King of the Elves to go to um the elf heaven. See the people who are Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien obsessives will if they if any of them are listening to this and I doubt it but if they are they'll hate me because I can't remember all the names of the various places but she's allowed to go to Elf Heaven which is where if you've seen Lord of the Rings movies it's where Bilbo sails off to at the end of the last film into the Golden Light etc. Oh, yeah. She's on the ship with the rest of her squad. They're going to go off to Elf Heaven, but she realizes at the last minute, no, I need to find and defeat Sauron. So she jumps off the boat and goes back, and then we'll follow her throughout the seasons. I'm sure as she attempts to uh, discover that. We also also meet Elrond, played by Hugo Weaving in the original series, um, who is uh, played by Robert Arameo. I don't really know him, but um, he is uh, setting about in these early episodes uh, to support Celebrimbor, who if anyone is, you know, if you're aware of Lord of the Rings lore, you'll know that Celebrimbor was a, uh, responsible in some part for the forging of the Rings of Power. So straight away you can picture where that storyline is going to go and that starts to, by the second episode, that's where we start to meet the dwarves and we meet Prince Durin, uh, a dwarf prince who's played pretty entertainingly by an actor called Owain Arthur. Um, we also, so who else do we come across? There's a group of humans living in a village 
Uh, they have been protected by elves ever since the end of the war with Morgoth, but they don't really like the elves. Um, and the elf king has finally declared that the war is officially over, so the elves are leaving. However, there is one elf who wants to remain, uh, Arendir, played by Ismail Cruz Cordova, um, because he's in love with one of the humans. Oh, oh. I know. Um, and he starts to set about, he discovers um, something disturbing and uh, starts to set about trying to find out what's going on there. So you've got that going on. And then in the area that I'm most sort of sceptical of so far, we meet a group of half-foots, uh, early versions of hobbits, who, unlike hobbits and other things, don't live in the Shire. They appear to live more of a nomadic life, keeping hidden from all beings larger than them, which is everyone. And therefore, when they set up camp, it's in this kind of... It feels like... I saw one reviewer describe, compare it to the Lost Boys village in Hook, where they're all like... There's all twine and strings and vines, and they pull the vine, and it lifts up a bit of grass, and there's a little like market stall underneath it and they can all close it down very quickly if humans arrive and it's all very kind of twee and it sort of feels a bit like a cbbc production uh, like a children's <laughs> television production in the uk um uh and there we follow primarily uh nori brandyfoot played by markella kavanagh as she um witnesses a shooting star fall from the sky and when she goes to investigate, she discovers a man lying in a crater of fire. Who is this mysterious man? We don't know, but probably Gandalf or Sauron. Oh. Mm. He wakes up in the second episode and he cannot communicate with um, the Halffoots. He speaks a different language, but he can communicate with the fireflies. And as we've seen in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf can talk to a butterfly. So maybe it's Gandalf. Hmm. But again, if you're a Lord of the Rings uh, hardcore sceptic, uh, you'll know that Gandalf didn't arrive on Middle-earth until the Third Age, and this is set in the Second Age, so who knows? What, what's your opinion on it? Do I you like it? Do you not I like it? I like it. Good. I like it so far. I just don't understand why the anger. Why? It's just like, nothing can be perfect, but at least having your favourite things made into... A production that is half decent is not that bad and if you don't like it don't watch it but if you don't like it don't watch it exactly it's ridiculous that you there's so much anger towards something because it's not exactly how it's supposed to be well read the book again then don't watch it yeah i mean i parts of me quite me gets it because it's like the way i feel about the rise of skywalker i hate that movie and i will talk to people about how much i hate that movie um but i've watched it and therefore feel like I have a right to give it a low rating on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. I can't imagine mm -hmm. the fifteen thousand negative views reviews are all from people who've seen it. Um, and if they have, I don't know. It's only two episodes in. Give it a chance and have an open mind. And I don't know. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm intrigued to see where it's going. I feel like the Lord of the Rings has been diluted enough at this point that having this absolute fierce insistence, it remains absolutely true to what Tolkien wrote is farcical. I mean, the, the the EA produced these Lord of the Rings Battle for Mordor and Shadow of War mm. games a few years ago, which um, explored not the same era in time, but had characters like Celebrimbor and um, other characters and explored kind of that period of time before the original Lord of the Rings films. And they equally play fast and loose with the lore of, of Tolkien. And, you know, for me, it's the sort of the, the Batman argument. You get new Batman comic books made today and they're not going and asking the corpses of 
Bill Finger and Bob Kane, whether it's true to their original vision of Batman, new people come in and and find ways to tell stories within the worlds that were created by somebody yeah. else. It's how yeah. it's how fiction works. It's how Star mm. Wars works. It's how all comic books work. And it's how the Lord of the Rings can work if people will just stop being absolute nightmares online. But they won't, so yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think people should give it a go with an open mind and, and if they enjoy it, great. If they don't enjoy it, just stop watching it and Amazon will decide whether their one billion dollar investment was worth any money at all. Great. Hmm. Does it does it look good? Like you said at one point like it was like a BBC production. Uh, it, I mean, is it a good BBC production or a bad? <laughs> it looks amazing. Like all of yeah. the sets look incredible, and the effects are pretty good. Um, the C the BBC production more comes from just the setting of the Hobbit characters being quite twee, um, mm. and then maybe because they're all speaking in quite broad British accents as well, so maybe in, for an international view it wouldn't feel quite so much. And then you've got like. Sir Lenny Henry is the sort of leader of the uh, tribe of uh, hobbits um, and he's great, I'm sure. But again, I mostly know him from quite cheesy. I don't know if he's ever done children's TV, but I, I don't know. It, it just it feels I'm, I'm unsure with that set of characters mm. so far, but the rest of it I'm enjoying. Good. Good. Yeah. But, you know, it's not my favorite thing of all time. Yeah. Anyway, that's all my culture catch-up. Fantastic. Great. What would you like to talk about? Uh, I'm going to talk about um, a couple of films I watched. Okay. Uh, I watched a Netflix film uh, released this year uh, called Day Shift. Oh, Day Shift. I, didn't, I haven't yeah. watched that, but I've seen the trailer. Yeah, well, I watched the trailer and I thought I, thought I liked the poster. It looks colourful and very... Uh, LA vibes and uh, I thought I thought I would give it a go like a nice vampire film mm-hmm. um, and it's about this uh, guy um, that uh, his uh, front job is to be a pool cleaner but in reality he is not a pool cleaner he is a vampire hunter mm. and uh, uh, played by uh, Jamie Foxx, which I haven't seen him in a film for a while. No. No. And then uh, also starring in the film, there is Dave Franco as uh, a guy that works in the Union of Vampire Hunters. Okay. And, <laughs> and we also have Snoop Dogg. Amazing. Sure. Sure. Um, and there's also as uh, there's other people like Natasha Liubordizzo, who's uh, another uh, vampire, and uh, and uh, Carla Souza, who is like the baddest vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. So it's just about this guy that has to uh, by mistake uh, fights. Uh, well, he has to. By mistake, he kills two vampires that he shouldn't kill, and um, he then, and he's he's a rogue vampire hunter. So he uh, gets. Um, we find out that he is not in the union of vampire hunters anymore, uh, and uh, these vampires are interesting because they're all like contortionist vampires. I thought that was interesting from the trailer, mm. and uh, apparently they're from the Cirque of Soleil. 
the Cirque du Soleil uh, people. Wow, the Cirque yeah. du Soleil. Yeah, and um, and so because he kills these two important people, then his family is in danger, and um, he needs to. No, before that. He kills these two people and he needs money because he needs to give money to his family. And so he wants to try and get back into the union who where he has been chucked out. And so that's where Dave Franco comes in and he has to um, babysit Jamie Foxx to see in his probational period so he can go back in the union. And then because at the beginning he killed a couple of people he shouldn't have, uh, a couple of vampires he shouldn't have. He then uh, uh, his family is in danger, and that is it. It's uh, it's directed by J J Perry, who is a famous stunt double man. Ah, a famous stunt double. He, stunt double. Apparently, he was in John Wick, Fast, Fast and Furious, uh, and lots of like places as a stunt. So I don't know if it's a stunt coordinator or a stunt double. It does stunt work and uh, and so that's and this is his director debut, and that's the best thing about the film. Like the film, the it's it's the di- the, the writing and the story. It's it's okay. It's written by the uh, the screenplay is by Shay Hatton, who also has done uh, John Wick, Chapter Three. Now John Wick chapter four and John Wick chapter five, I think he's like kind of like one of those people. So he he you know is very. Unfortunately, it's not John Wick, so the story is not really great, but the stunts and the action scenes and the fighting scenes are really entertaining. It's an entertaining film when it comes to stunts, so yeah. you can't take that away from it. Um, oh, Jamie well. Fox and uh, Dave Franco have a good chemistry, and uh, I like Dave Franco. And I haven't seen him for a while, so I thought it was great. And you don't like him? No, he's a stupid head. Why is he stupid head? Uh, well, I just he's 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 irritating, and okay. also <laughs> I know that's quite vague. He made that <laughs> absolutely unforgivably terrible movie. Uh, was it called The Rental? I think it was called The Rental. He directed. Ah, yeah. It. Uh, yeah. And I just, yeah. I just find his like, I find him and I just, irritates me. He was, and that's the thing. He's better in this film. Yet a film, I think he has taken some time off and changed a little bit his style of acting because he's a little bit less whiny. That's, that's quite interesting liked him. because in the trailer, he's very whiny. Ah, okay. Well, maybe watch the film and, but it's not, it's not, it's not too bad. I, I really like the action. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, Snoop Dogg has a cameo. It's like a few cameos, and he's pretty cool in it. You know, mm. Snoop Dogg being Snoop Dogg, and the soundtrack is pretty good as well. So it's an entertaining, not extremely well written film, but for the stunts, I would re- definitely recommend it because it's just uh, it's uh, it's fun. And then I watched another uh, twenty uh, twenty. To no, a film uh, released. Um, I watched a film released last year, uh, which is like directed, written, starring uh, Zoe Lister Jones. Okay. Called How It Ends. How it ends. What's that? Uh, it's uh, so it it stars Liza, uh, played by Zoe Lister Jones. 
who uh, is the last uh, day uh, on on the uh, on in the world uh, because an asteroid is going to uh, destroy Earth, and uh, she is the last day, and uh, her she, from the beginning we find out she's got her younger self with her, uh, played by incredibly by uh, Kylie Spaney. And uh, she decides that on the last uh, day on Earth, she is going to go and talk to some people. And she just embarks. Um, when she leaves the house, she finds out uh, she she realizes her car got stolen. And so she just walks through the streets of um, L.A. Um, to uh <laughs> to to find the different people that she wants to talk to and on in, on this journey she embarks um she she finds people that she talks to throughout so she's got three main people that she wants to talk to which are her um four maybe four or five her mother her father her ex best friend her ex boyfriend and at the end the love of her life and uh, these are the five main people that she wants to talk to. But from the first person that she goes to, which is her father, uh, she she talks to many other people on her walking journey. Uh, and they and uh, to then arrive at the last night, last day party where she's going to talk to the love of her life. Um, it's a really lovely film. Um, it's really simple. Uh, the people that she meets are, might be a bit annoying and the, the, the dialogues between these people might be really uh, kind of maybe silly. But uh, the dialogues that she has with the people that she she wants to talk to are really like help her understand herself. And it's a comedy, so it's really lovely, but it's also a lot about um, how we um, grow up and... Uh, not talk to the people that and be clear with the people that we know and we're not um maybe honest with our feelings and the people's feelings especially when it comes to parents and best friends and ex lovers or lovers that have not, have not been and um it's a really lovely film i teared up a few times because um it it's it's a nice journey it's it's a um, kind of a hangout film because you know but it's a nice journey that she has and uh, the relationship that she has with her younger self is amazing. Like if you just took all the uh, random people that she meets along the way and you have her and her younger self and the people that she's supposed to meet, it would be probably a very short film, but it would be it would be enough. Uh, but then she adds the comedy moments because I think it's kind of like a. Uh, it has to be a comedy film and uh, it's really really lovely I didn't expect it to be so lovely and uh, maybe also kind of self-reflecting on how we are so um, negative towards ourselves rather mm. than be positives and so it's really nice and the chemistry between um Old Liza, played by Zoe Lister-Jones, and Young Liza, played by Kylie Spenny, is incredible, amazing. Like, they found two people that worked so well together and could be, be believable that are the younger and the older self. So lovely. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, <laughs> at the end of the film, I thought it would be like if 
don't look up uh would be is like don't look up but with somebody and everybody's calm in LA and everybody's like it's like it's like the outside film the outside plot of don't look up you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so this disaster right is like oh that that'd be funny if that kind of would be related but yeah it's a it's a lovely lovely film i really enjoyed it i don't think it had really good reviews but because it's it's not really um i don't think it, you're not supposed to take it like it's realistic because the things that are happening is not really realistic but it's if you take it with like a journey of a person i think mm. is really lovely the cameos are amazing in it like there is uh, uh finn wolfhard is one of the cameos uh nick kroll uh, and then we have Fred Armisen, Bradley Whitford uh, mm-hmm. as her father, mm-hmm. uh, Olivia Wilde as her best friend. Uh, yeah, controversial. Yeah. Uh, Lamorne Such Morris a... as her ex-partner. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what's her name? Oh, she's a really like famous actress. Really, really famous. Julie Roberts. No. Which I was like, what? How can she be the mum? Nicole um, Kidman. No. Um, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. No. Bridget Bridget Bardot. No. Uh, Julia Childs. No. Um, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. No. Julia Roberts. Mm, Ellen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt is the mother, Helen which the, the 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 bit the bit with the mother was the for me the <sighs> the most like mad like magical and upsetting, mm. uh yeah and um, Bobby Lee, uh, lots of cameos and it's 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 a it's a good it's a good film. Who's I, I enjoyed Bobby it. Lee? Bobby Lee is an uh, he is a stand-up comedian. Uh, you you if you see a picture you know where he's been in loads of things. Um so Oh that guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like he has been in lots of things but but you I know who he is but not exactly what he's been in but yeah i really liked it um talking about olivia wilde mm. opening a little uh, opening a little bit of a bracket yeah i feel really this uh, strange that this film that is supposed to be you know directed and by a woman starring incredible actresses has had such an air of negativity around it even before it even comes out mm-hmm. even before coming out and uh, it really annoys me because whatever Florence Pugh has said and whatever Olivia Wilde has said they haven't said anything bad against each other at all they've just said statements and people have misread these statements I believe I think and I find it really weird that this this film that hasn't come out yet that is supposed to be you know it might be good, it might be bad, but I would like to see it before all this crap comes out because people now are going to watch it and be like, oh, look, we'll follow in Pew and Olivia Wilde didn't get along. Mm. Well, that's not the case, is it? 
Well, I don't know. It might be the case. It might be the case, but whatever they have said in a statement, I don't feel like it's condemning one or the other. Um, maybe not, but it is one of those things where like there's been quite a lot of seemingly small digs at each other that it does seem. Yeah, like but do you, do you see on. you do see them as digs? Well, there's like uh, I can't remember which one it was, but one of them did a big post thanking all the people that worked on the movie and left out. It was either Florence Pugh didn't mention Olivia Wilde or Olivia Wilde didn't mention Florence Pugh and stuff like that. And it just... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if if you read all the stuff, it is pretty mad. But then, you know, and then there's all this, you know, Olivia Wilde's done... There was... there was. Did you see the video of Olivia Wilde in the car on the tech make to Sheila Booth? No. Well, so, yeah, there's there's a lot more... There's a lot to unpack, I think. Oh, okay. Like, there's this video, there's a video of Olivia Wilde, there's no, like, unless it's some kind of incredible deep fake, but then I think she'd have come out and said it if it was, of her, like, on the surface of it, it looks like she's begging Sheila Booth to stay on the movie, um, and that if if, if her, him and Florence Pugh can put their uh, differences aside, it might be a bit of a wake-up call, wake call for Lady Flo, she says in the video. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know any of this. Yeah, and then, and then, like she'd be, she, like it'd been put out there that she'd fired Sheila Booth because she has a no assholes on set policy. But then this video really makes it look like she was really trying to get Sheila Booth to stay. And then Sheila Booth's come out and said that he didn't get fired at all. He left her because he couldn't rehearse with Florence Pugh properly. And I, I don't know. There, there's like it, it's it is unfortunate because the movie looks quite good with the exception mm. of Harry Styles, um, but. It but, has turned into this huge behind-the-scenes drama. And like you say, it is sad that it's a big production helmed by a female director who has talked a lot about how it's meant to be an adult movie for adults that explores stuff like female pleasure on screen, which is uh, such a thing that isn't really done. And um, the fact that it's descended into this sort of catfight is sad. And like you say, it's not necessarily an, an active catfight between the director and the star. It's more of a... Mm. People are reading a lot into a lot of things, but then things do keep dropping that make it look like there is some sort of madness going on behind the scenes. Crazy. Yeah. I want to see the movie. If, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But they did, there was a clip released of um, Harry Styles in it. And, oh, my God. Is he bad? It's pretty, it's, yeah. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll wait until the movie comes out and then we'll talk about it. But yeah. That's it. Uh, bonkers um yeah sort of. I, I would like to watch it and i feel for florence Pugh because she's also going through a breakup and it's not really nice to go through a breakup and and then having to be in the spotlight and then yeah know, i i yeah. think i think also i don't know the fact that she cast this shia the buff from the start you know he's a problematic character or person that has yeah. not been the been the kindest and a lot of allegations against him have come out and just casting him is a bit crappy, in my opinion, but, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, because, like, I think the, the, the FKA Twigs stuff came out after he was cast. But then there's been so much stuff for years with him just generally behaving like an anus. Yeah. It's surprising that he's still getting cast in big roles and stuff. Um, He just yeah. got cast in something. Francis Ford Coppola's just cast him in this movie he's making. Um. It's, it's Why? <laughs> I don't know. 
Anyway, neither of us have seen that movie yet. So, have yeah. you got anything else that you have explored? Uh, yes, I've watched. Uh, I was interesting in, uh, interested in watching uh, this uh, series because I love Neil Patrick Harris. So I watched Uncoupled season one, okay. a Netflix season, and it's um, stars um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris as. Michael, who is, uh, I don't know what they are, these people, is a broker, like a New York City broker. Oh, money guy. Yeah, but broker as like, I think he's like a property broker. No, 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 he's not a broker. He's like, um, we call them estate agents, but they have bigger names in in the States, like property person. Well, he sells uh, apartments he's a, in um, he's a building guy yeah he's a building guy he sells uh, apartments he sells buildings. and um he uh he has a uh yeah he ha- he's been in a uh, relationship 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 <laughs> he has been in a relationship for 17 years to his partner and uh, the first episode starts with um, the 50th birthday party of uh, his partner's 50th birthday party. And just outside his uh, surprise 50th birthday party, his partner breaks up with him. No! Yeah. Uh, so um, Michael uh, works with his best friend, Suzanne, who's also, she's a single mother. Uh, he's got two best friends, uh, Billy, who is a... Um, uh, he is a weatherman uh, on television he is also a very thirsty older gay man who likes really young gay men mm-hmm. and he is very uh, he, 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 he doesn't like commitment and then there's uh, Stanley uh, who is this art gallery guy who uh, is uh, who can't find love um yeah it was all set in new york everybody's rich everybody's got a house (laughs) everybody's out drinking champagne every night the houses cost millions of dollars the old gays hate the young gays the young gays hate the old gays it ends with cheating is fine i don't know who this show is for <laughs> oh you didn't you didn't like it i don't know i i i where neil patrick harris has got this charm and i loved him and in a way his sensibility to try uh, he's trying to find um you know love again after 17 years and but it was just so out of touch with reality reality of how people live and will be watching it is really strange because i felt like everybody is rich there is no but everybody moans about everything <laughs> everybody has got loads of money and everybody's got their career and their career are you know they have ha- they don't live in apartments in new york they live in like penthouses in new york and they're constantly moaning about things <laughs> and uh, neil patrick harris is, like wants to find love constantly and and he's uh, he you know he has the times of casual sex and there's like uh, but it's just so 
out of touch i feel i felt like it, it it's from the producer and director of sex in the city so you can feel a lot of that and there are some lovely moments where michael realizes um certain things about um love and um and relationships and family and stuff and it's really lovely but it's so limited <laughs> to like two minutes at the end of an episode that you just just watched this episode where people were just like ah you're this you're that you're the other uh i want love i don't want love and then you go and then there's a moment where you go oh that's lovely and then until the eighth episode it seems so shallow everything and then the last two episodes they're like fill you with emotions like oh it just i don't know is a similar thing also true of sex in the city though like i never really watched that but that on the surface to me looked like it was about rich people complaining about their exactly but that was in the 90s end of 90s well there was a series of of 2000s there was a a series of sex in the city last year a series yeah but it's called something else wasn't it but it was called like and just like that but like they're still they're still plugging away at the sex in the city girls but I just find it so like, I, I people liked it. It's got really good scores, seventy seven percent from uh, critics and seventy four percent from audience on Rotten Tomatoes. But I just felt like it was so, so old school, like the and so not kind of about now. And we live in a you know in a reality that it just felt out of touch for me. But I'm not a rich New Yorker. And I don't moan because um, I can't sell a $65 billion house. So $65 billion? No one, I don't know. No one can afford that. <laughs> no, nobody can afford Well, maybe Elon Musk. Um, so, the, I, the, the, like I said, Neil Patrick Harris is amazing. He's really lovely in it. And he's that's why I watched it. And I watched the entire 10 episodes because it's kind of like joyous kind of human. And I wanted to see where it went. And it really didn't go anywhere because it kind of went full circle back to whatever started at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trisha Campbell Martin, who's Suzanne, his best friend. She's really lovely. Uh, we don't see her often enough, but he's she's really nice. Emerson Brooks, which is uh, the teleprompter guy. He's annoying and not, and really like, bland and so that was part of the the problem as well and uh, yeah it's just it was it was okay but i if they do another season which they probably will because it was quite popular mm-hmm, i hope mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. will get better at not dividing so much the the young with the old the the who's better who's worse and make a little bit maybe less frivolous but i don't think they can because they're new yorkers with loads of money and how, how is uh marcia gay harden in it because she's a favorite oh, of ours exactly she's incredible okay good. she's the best thing good. she's amazing in it like she is this rich lady who has uh, her, her husband divorced her and she's amazing in it of course she's another reason why i kept on watching but um yeah i was hoping in something less I don't know. Sex in the city-ish and more, you know, a bit more deep, but never mind. Never mind. And oh. last but not least, okay. I uh, listened to King Princess's new album, which is called 
Hold On Baby. Hold On Baby. Yeah, uh, released uh, this August. And um, I wasn't ready for this. I put it on, expecting uh, King Princess's beautiful, solely raspy voice. And uh, I, the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for a change in tone and tune and everything and uh, Why? What's, subject what's matter. Changed? Her voice is completely different, okay. uh, is beautiful in this, in this album, uh, very different from the, uh, the album, the previous album, uh, which is um, uh, Cheap Queen and her EP. And uh, it's just, and very, it's a very, very different album, which I think you are going to enjoy because it's also been, uh, some songs have been written and produced with the help of your favourite, the name that you like saying all the time. Um, uh, Phoebe Bridges. No, Aaron Desner from Aaron the National. Desner from the National, my favorite <laughs> yeah. guy in the world. Your favorite guy in the world has uh, helped with uh, many other people to create an amazing and Bryce album. Desner as well. Oh, but yeah, Mark, you didn't mention Mark Ronson. It's the last song, and it's not mm, a bad song. Don't, don't, don't do that. Head. Come on, stupid head. Uh, is it? Just don't listen to the last song, okay? And also with the help, George. Oh, sorry. <laughs> also with the help of Ethan Grushka, who uh, was a producer in uh, Phoebe Bridges' first album, uh, "Stranger in the Alps." That's a great album. Yes, so it's a really not. It's it's a great album. It's so. Uh, lovely and the, there are a lot of themes of like there's there's a song that is is like a love letter to her friends which is absolutely beautiful it it talks about um the monotony in relationships meeting an ex um and uh, the tension that you might have in a relationship uh things about yourself that you might doubt is just amazing incredible album and uh, they have made such a shift into a fully formed artist with the help of many other people, which she mentions, and she, well, she or they. On her bio, her pronouns are she, they, it, it. So if I get it wrong, it's not wrong. Um, and um, they took a village to make this album. Not not a village. It took a few people to make <coughs> this amazing album, and it's really really nice. And I would recommend George that you listen to it for next time, because I think you might really really like it. Uh, cool. I will try and listen to it when you listen to it. You can listen to the last song. It's not too bad. Why is why is so why is so annoyed with Jack? Whatever his name is. Uh, the same reason... Um, there was a period where every pop yeah. thing was produced by Mark Ronson and everything started yeah. to sound the same. And then he started producing... He overstepped his bounds and started producing... like He produced this Queens of the Stone Age album, which is the worst thing they've ever done, called yeah. Villains. And the same thing is happening today with um, Jack Antonoff, 
everything everything is produced by Jack Antonoff and everything is starting to sound a bit like you know the same um yeah like the new but, and again overstepping his bounds the new 1975 album has been produced by jack antonoff and it's like come mm. on anyway yeah but this come on aaron Dessner from the national yeah and bryce Dessner, he's twin twins yes so uh amazing and if you look at the three albums they released an ep and two albums if you look at the cover art in Make My Bed, their face is completely kind of written on. In Cheap Queen, they look like a like a drag queen with the makeup, with the, like a drag queen. But in this one, you can see their face, and mm. and it lo- it looks so different and kind of stripped down and kind of more about like a more grown up version. So. I really, really liked it. But I, I, I was so surprised when I list, heard the first song. You, if you, if you ever listen to the a song from the uh, from Cheap Queen and then a song from Hold on, Hold on, but Hold on, Baby, then you can you realize what the issue that I was having is like what <laughs> what's happened to King Princess. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I can I can play you something now if to hear the difference if you want. Sure. So I'm gonna maybe play the first song from Cheap Queen. Nobody told me to sit down and shut up and take this shit slowly. So her voice is quite raspy and solely and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. But then, in the first song of I, of Hold On Baby. Like her voice is like a different human. Yeah, it sounds like a song off uh, folklore or animal. So I think you might really enjoy her new album. I will listen to the songs that were produced by Desna. So <laughs> no, listen to the track, album. The listen to the sixth <laughs> track. Listen to the full album. The ninth track. George, you <laughs> must listen to the album. Okay. You must, you must, you must. Okay, I'll have a listen to Hold On Baby by King Princess. Thank you. No, it sounds good. That little bit sounded sounded good. So yeah. Is that all of your um uh, culture catch up time? Yeah. Okay, sweet uh, cherry pie. So, sweet cherry pie. Mm, that song makes an appearance in the movie Fall, which I talked about earlier. So yeah, if like that. If you like that song, go and see that movie.
Um, my tube time. You said you have something this week. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which one I should show you because well, I'm gonna show you the video. Uh, so Blackpink has released a new you're single. You're gonna show me the video for Black Venom. I've already seen it. Oh, okay. So great. fantastic. You've seen the new. Vi- uh, so you've seen the one for Black Venom. Yep. What do you think of that? Great. Okay, so then I can show you the next one. Okay. Um, they've yeah. released another video, and I'm amazed. They only, I'm amazed. they only just put out Black Venom, didn't they? Like, well, I guess that was two or three weeks ago. Now. Oh, maybe it's not a new video. Well, I'm gonna show you a video that I watched last night, released by Blackpink, but it came out a month ago, and Black Venom came out two weeks ago. Yeah, so it's older than Black Venom. I don't know where this comes from. George, but I found it last night because I wanted some more new content from Black Pink. I'm gonna send okay. you the the video, and then you tell me. Oh, uh, okay. Have you seen that one? Uh, no, I've heard about this. They, they they won. They recently won a um a video music award for this for best like performance in a video game or something insane. Oh, is that a video game? Yeah, yeah. PUBG Mobile. That's a video game. So this yeah. is a this is a performance that they've did virtually within this game, and it oh won it won an MTV VMA award the other day when so, the VMAs happened, which we talked but, about on last episode. But it's crazy because just look, you know, I want an opinion of what you think how they made them, like their avatars. Okay, I will give you that okay. opinion. Um, are okay. you ready to start? Yeah. Okay, three, two, one, go. I also didn't realize this was a video game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's just... Awful. Yeah, like that thing she sat on is like the iconic helmet from the cover of the game. Um, oh, so they just did a performance for the game? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ah. But look what they did to Jisoo. Look what they did to Jisoo. They made a virtual avatar of her. Yeah, but she... Looks- She's so beautiful and she looks so bad. And look what they did to Lisa. Well, it's just virtual. It's like CGI versions of them, isn't it? Yeah, but. And then there's the island from CGI. PUBG. PUBG is like a Fortnite thing. In, in fact, Fortnite, oh. Fortnite copied PUBG. PUBG was first and then Fortnite. Oh, really? Sort of ripped it off, basically. Okay. Ah, see, I didn't realise. I just thought they made them look so bad. I don't know if they look bad, they just look like CGI avatars. Oh, uh, I guess. Because it just they're so beautiful, and I was just like, oh. Yeah, but they're not, you can't, I mean, it's not them, is it? So it can't look exactly like them. I guess. I like the song, the song is good, and the, the video's weird, but entertaining. Did you see, uh, in line with Music Video Awards talk, the performance that the Red Hot Chili Peppers did at that awards show? No. Uh, it's, it's like a ten minute video, it's too long to watch now, but you should watch it. It's, um, okay. John Frusciante is amazing in it. Oh, I want to I wanna see them. So they did this performance 
in the video game live. I don't like, understand how it works, to be honest. It, it, okay, because like, did people just go and sign in and then see this performance? I, I guess, but it was for the mobile phone version of it, so maybe it was. It's probably just something you could access. You could probably just press a button in the menu and it would show you this video. I don't know what makes it. But yeah, they won an award for this, and they did uh, a performance of Black Venom at the show, I think, that was quite good. That's so good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I like them, they did. Yeah. Are they popular in England? Yeah, not as popular as BTS, but they're popular. Okay. Their new album will be, will be big. I don't understand that. I don't... I don't... I can't get into BTS. I've tried, but I just... Well, I, I, don't, I don't like much K-pop, really, but I, I like Blackpink, I guess. Yeah, so that's the video. Yeah, interesting. You know, hmm. it's it's a weird thing. It's not for us to understand. I don't think the whole. Um, <laughs> no, we understand. We don't understand anything. The video terrible. game performance. <laughs> yeah. Weirdness. Um. But yeah, they 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 did that for that mobile phone game, and it won an award. And well done them. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand it beyond that. Um. Yeah. Let me show you a movie trailer. Okay. Okay. So, so, what are you looking at? I'm looking at a trailer for My Best Friend's Exorcism. Yes. Official trailer on Prime Video. Yes. Uh, coming out on Prime Video on September 30th. This is a film adaptation of uh, a book I read last year, which I really um, enjoyed. I really, really liked Good. this book. So, um, let's, let's um, watch the trailer. Grady, Let's do it. Grady Hendrix is the author who wrote the book. Okay, okay, you ready? Yeah. You can tell me what you think. Three, two, one, go. I can't believe you're moving this summer. We're always going to be friends. Think you've been done? Oh. Set in the 90s? Or 80s, I think. 80s, not 80s? Late 80s, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They're going to the lake for the weekend. Yeah. It's called Exorcism, girls. so it's not going to end well, is it? Probably not. No, well, this looks teenage fun. girls, a lake, freaky and happy death day. <laughs> Good movies. I'm the producer of those. So she's trying to convince her friend for one more adventure. I would have said no, run away. Well, they've gone into a creepy old house in the middle of the woods. Great. That's exactly... Ah, there's an eye <laughs> in the middle of the... <laughs> of uh, something. Oh, she gets pulled away. Where were you? And they're looking for her. Your oh, they're getting angry. Oh, I like that guy. Okay. Oh, so she wants to kill people, and they're gonna exercise her. Is it like a comedy, like a dark comedy? Yeah, it's like a, it mixes the book mixes comedy and horror quite a lot, which is difficult to pull off. The book does it well. Mm. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Oh, she's vomiting on people. 
This is Lacoste. <laughs> That's quite funny. Cool. So what do you think? Well, I think I would watch that. Yeah, it doesn't look too scary, right? And it looks no. quite fun. Um, no. I'm quite intrigued to see my best friend's exorcism. If it's worth watching, maybe we could talk about it in more depth once it's out, because we'll both be able to yeah. see it. Um, but yeah, the book is great. Anyone who's listening, if you haven't read My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix, I'd recommend checking it out. And he's written a variety of other... Uh, he's quite good at making books with quite interesting conceits. So like that's sort of like a take on exorcism stuff, but set in the world of like an 80s teen comedy. Uh, mm. He's done a book called Horror Store, which is like um, a haunted house novel, but the haunted house is a, is basically an Ikea. Um, <laughs> he does good He does good stuff, does Grady Hendrix. And he's written a really great non-fiction book um, just exploring the world of cheap horror paperbacks, which is a, a really fun read as well. So I'd recommend people look up Grady Hendrix. But yeah, that, that film looks good, I think. Nice. I hope. We'll see. Um, I think that's all the MyTube, unless you've got any other videos. No, but do do go and watch that um that uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers performance at the MTV VMAs because it's uh, got some very good John Frusciante um doing cool. his thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I liked it. Um, right, should we move into the main event of today? Yes, please. Exciting time. Better call Saul. <gasps> yeah, it's all good, man. It's so good, man. So good, man. This is the Breaking Bad spin-off show. Um, Breaking Bad ran for five seasons. This ran for six seasons, uh, which seems crazy. Because uh, yeah. it seems like... I mean, I remember when when Breaking Bad ended, it was like the entire world took a pause and watched it together. And as good as Better Call Saul is, it always felt like it was sort of in the shadow of Breaking Bad, I feel like Better Call Saul, when that when the finale of, when the finale of that was coming out, people who care about Better Call Saul cared about it, but it didn't seem to can take the world over in quite the same way that the Breaking Bad finale did. Well, it was a different time as well because we all had to watch at the same time because it was it, we didn't have Netflix at the time, did we? Uh, yes, we did. I think Breaking Bad. I remember watching Breaking Bad on Netflix the last episode. Yeah, I feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I might be wrong on that front. Either way. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess. I, th- I think maybe as a spin-off, people went into it in diff- on different times as well. Yeah. Like, because I, I was not really interested in Better Call Saul for a while, because why would I want to watch something about, you know, Saul? Well, but then hearing people saying that it was worth watching and amazing, then... You know, I started watching it as well. So I think probably, probably different times of people watching it as mm. well. Yeah, definitely. And it's quite slow to start with. I think that turned a lot of people off. But I have long been of the opinion that it's better than Breaking Bad. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, that's my... that's yeah. my. I'll, I'll open with that so people know where I'm coming from. I, I think that this outpaces Breaking Bad on almost every level. I I definitely think that it's i i like it more yeah yeah because i've been times on in breaking bad where i've just didn't want to watch anymore because i was so frustrated with how the character was ha- how how you know yeah there were some people that really idolize walter white and think that he's amazing and his downfall makes them really sad whereas i feel like the the intention of the author vince gilligan and certainly the way i felt 
was that mm. he was a monster and the character you yeah. care about in Breaking Bad is is Jesse and like that's totally fair like Jesse is great and Alan Paul plays him really well but Walter White mm. is horrible and like that is yeah. you are reminded of that in the final couple of episodes of season six yeah. where we get uh, yeah. a return of Walter White in a couple of key scenes and he's awful yeah. like you're just like god yeah. you suck but also I did watch the first episode of Breaking Bad again and wow it's very good tv like collectively this is 11 seasons of of just masterful um mm. storytelling anyway yeah. that's it finished this summer the final season ended it was split into two it felt impossible that they would pull off um you know cohesively wrapping up this tale but they did and they gave us unexpected things and they gave us they you know characters beats that we we didn't see coming that blew us away and it's great so let's mm-hmm. talk about it let's start by going over the setup first and then we can dive into season six in a bit more detail okay. with looking at some of the characters first up jimmy mcgill or is he saw goodman or is he gene takovic yeah ah. the lawyer that we the criminal lawyer um that we fell in love with in breaking bad played perfectly by bob Odenkirk um as saul goodman Mm. we meet at the start of better call saul which is set years before breaking bad um yeah and you just kind of have to go yeah they do a fairly good job with just makeup of making um bob Odenkirk look younger than he did in um in better call saul in breaking bad uh yeah I, i thought it was pretty pretty impressive overall um i really i really didn't mind it that the fact that they were older yeah i it just it felt like because it was so it was it was it's so detached from um breaking bad in a way yeah. i didn't mind yeah. them being older we all get it like, we yeah. don't need mike yeah. to wear a ridiculous wig or anything to be like yeah yeah good. it's fine uh we all yeah. get what's going on so yeah jimmy mm. mcgill who um they do this incredible thing where Breaking Bad was all about taking... He always talked about how it was taking... Did he say Mr. Chips or Mr. Rogers or something? Vince Gilligan always talks about how Breaking Bad was about showing a guy go from being normal to being Scarface. Um, mm. Better Call Saul is almost the opposite, where you're taking a guy who you've seen at his Scarface stage and yeah. we're seeing how he got there. And um, they made the pretty incredible choice to really take it slow. It takes us like four or five seasons to get to a point where he's even anywhere near to being Saul Goodman. Um, And we meet Jimmy McGill as a sort of, he's slipping Jimmy. Yeah. He's slipping Jimmy. He's a ridiculous (laughs) buffoon who wants to be a lawyer and his brother is one of the greatest lawyers of all time. And he just lives in his shadow and is constantly living, um, in the aftermath of being a guy who's known for falling over and then suing people for the injuries. Amazing. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything to say other than that Bob Odenkirk is perfect and Jimmy McGill is a character that you fall in love with and then season six does a pretty good job of taking you back up to that point where actually he, he's, he is close to as bad as Walter White in a lot of ways. But you want to like him oh, so much more. Yeah, but I can. The thing is, I understand Jimmy McGill more than Walter White. I understand where he comes from. I understand why he's like that. Why is he like that? Because of how he was raised, uh, how his life was, and how he was always like not, in a way, n- not 
his brother never really believed in him mm. uh as a you know he wants to be a lawyer so maybe i understand that maybe sleeping jimmy was what shouldn't have been but he was a failure anyway from the start so why should he try any better yeah uh, whilst uh walter white and then what he what he chose to do was more as to try and feel better and get revenge in a way jimmy mcgill yeah and but uh, but walter white was just more for pride I don't think with Jimmy McGill was ever pride. Not pride, but he's got this insatiable need to always try and take a shortcut. He will never be yeah. happy doing things the, the long way around. Yeah. Um, mm. Whatever it takes to get to where he wants to be the quickest. Yeah. He, he does have like fairly low morals a lot of the time. Yeah, but not... Yeah, I guess. But he he's... he's um He's got low morals but really high morals as well depending on who he is with at the moment and which character he's playing because mm. i think with kim Re- wexler i think that's a massive part of him becoming terrible soul well they sort of yeah. feed off each other don't they yeah but he in a way wants to please her so he he especially in the last season he really wants to please her and so he follows her in this kind of like crazy thing that they decide, decide to do and then but then she realized she went too far and but in reality if they just didn't try so hard to please each other they would have been incredible together interesting um okay so you still all good yeah good Perfect. Okay, so let's talk then a little bit about Kim, a character mm. that we didn't know in Breaking Bad. In fact, no, there's a few characters that we know from Breaking Bad that pop up in here, but Kim was a new character for Better Call Saul, played by Rhea Seahorn. Um, we are introduced to her as a attorney walking, working for um, HHM, mm. the law firm, um, Hamlin Hamlin McGill, that... Uh, jimmy's brother works for but which jimmy doesn't work for and we explore why that is as the series goes on but kim does work for them and um we see throughout the seasons kim and jimmy form a relationship which is un quite unlike any other relationship i've seen play out in Mm. any other tv show or any other piece of fiction where these two people who clearly love and adore each other and they have romantic interest in each other, but it just it isn't. It, they never play it for romance, really. It's such a sh- an interesting, mm. like mature take on relationships. What do you think of Kim? Yeah, Oh, incredible, amazing from season one to season six, amazing. And I love, I love her relationship with Saul. How uncomplicated it is, mm. but also how complicated it is. It's um when it comes to romance, they were really easy getting into it. But when it comes to other things, I feel that it it got the it got really messy. Yeah. By the end, because they didn't, they I think by the end they thought one wanted something and the other wanted the same thing, but in reality probably. Yeah. They didn't really want and that, they, they, and so. Yeah. They feed off each other in a big way, whereas as the series goes on. Kim turns to Jimmy more and more for help, and every time she does, his help always comes in the form of something a little bit underhand. 
and a little bit deceitful. Yeah. And as it goes on, she allows him and she allows this to happen more and more until she, and it's the point where she starts to take the reins. um, And you see really the power that she has in terms of like her ability to kind of um, play this game that he enjoys playing is, uh, is pretty powerful. And the two of them together is something that by season six, she realizes is not good. No. Uh, due to events we'll discuss. And um, yeah, for the entirety of Breaking Bad, people have loved this character and loved Rhea Seahorn's performance. And every time you talk to anyone about Better Call Saul, the, the, the conversation inevitably turns to why isn't she in Breaking Bad? What happens to her? I don't think I can cope with it. If she dies, if her character <laughs> dies. Oh, and, uh, I was so scared that she might die. I was like, I don't, I don't, I can't do this. And that's the obvious thing. That's the obvious choice. And yeah. they don't do that. And we'll talk more about what they do do later. But it's pretty incredible the way they take mm. the way, what they do with that character. And she has um, a few... Um, there's a couple of episodes near the end. One episode in particular that really focuses on her post-breaking bad life. And um, it's pretty incredible. Mm. And her performance, like she needs to win an award of some kind for that. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, and then we've got a character who who isn't in the whole run of things because things end quite tragically. But um, a pretty big important guy nonetheless, Chuck McGill, played yeah. by Michael McKean, iconic Michael McKean off of Spinal Tap, um, mm. lending this. I mean, I think it was a big way of lending the spin off of Breaking Bad quite a lot of um. Uh, what's the word like um, credence or credit was the mm. casting of Michael McKean in it because it kind of he lent it a lot of credibility pretty early on I think and mm. he plays this wild guy who is I is known in Albuquerque where the series is set for being the greatest lawyer of all time but when we meet him he has succumbed to what he is convinced is a genuine physical illness where he's allergic to electricity but yeah. as we come to realise as the series goes on, is is um some kind of a mental illness that mm. he's got. Uh, not nonetheless, you know, important should be taken seriously, but not quite what he thinks he's suffering. He's not suffering from quite what he thinks he is. And yeah. um, there's this amazing brotherly relationship where Chuck just quite clearly doesn't like Jimmy, doesn't have time for Jimmy. But Chuck is yeah. now at this point in his life where he is living at home entirely still insisting on being the director of the law firm but he cannot use any electricity so there's no power to his home all of his food has to be kept in a big ice box um <laughs> he has to cook his meals on like a gas stove and assistants from hhm have to bring him um case files to read uh you know to the house and um he needs someone, you know, if you're in that position, somebody needs to look after you because you can't look after yourself. And who looks after him? It's his brother, who he's always stood in the way of his career, uh, Jimmy. Yeah. And the scenes between those two in the early seasons are some of the best uh, things that we've ever seen in Better Call Saul, I think. Yeah, that's really amazing. What do you think of Chuck? Oh, like I really disliked him in a way. The the problem with 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 Jimmy with Soul Jimmy McGill is I feel like if you give him something he might take advantage of it, mm. but not necessarily. And I think that's that's what I love about this character because you're not really sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy. But Chuck is uh, Chuck is certain that he's a bad guy. Chuck is a bad guy. Oh no! So I thought you meant Jimmy. You weren't sure if Jimmy was a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So Chuck thinks that Jimmy is a bad guy. Yeah. 
and and I, it, throughout the series I wanted him to give like a chance to Jimmy because he could be a great lawyer and he's a lawyer but he never wanted to give him that but did he not want to give him that because he knows that if he gives him something he's just going to ruin everything or is it pride and you know wanting Jimmy to make him look bad you mm. know so I, I have this really weird thing with Chuck because I know he's suffering but in a way uh, when Chuck's downfall happens I'm not that sad because yeah. I feel he could have done more he had the means and he had the tools and everything to give maybe Jimmy a chance but Chuck has spent his life making the name McGill mean something in in the legal world and he yeah. is convinced that if Jimmy enters the legal world then he will run roughshod over that name. Yeah. And he'll bring disre- disrepute to it. Mm. Which I would be, a, yeah. you know, that would be, if you've dedicated your life to being an incredible lawyer setting yeah. up this law firm which is become incredibly respected and you are known to not lose cases and you are known to be incredible if you've got a younger brother whose background is in being a con man who suddenly decides he's going to be a lawyer as well mm. you're going to be nervous but equally that's family yeah you, you could shouldn't give him take a precedence yeah yeah maybe you can t- help maybe if chuck had given some time he could have you know turned it around and helped jimmy become an upstanding lawyer but instead he stood yeah. in his way at every at every turn um, exactly and so, was too cowardly to stand in his way openly so jimmy spent his life thinking it was howard hamlin who we'll talk about in a minute originally yeah. who was the reason that he couldn't get anywhere but it wasn't it was uh chuck yeah and yeah when he went so, when, yeah when that all comes to yeah. a head at the end of season i think it's the end of season four it's pretty yeah. uh pretty bonkers yeah and i i just was like i, I should feel bad for chuck but i don't but i do i don't know um so the last big important character in the legal side of things and better call Saul is if you pushed me to choose a favorite character it might be this guy no i love his performance so much no (laughs) it's so ridiculous he's just so it's like a cartoon but to life yeah howard hamlin yeah um he's a guy who spends his life wearing a mask i reckon you, mm. you, it's not until season six where the mask oh. slips a bit and you start to see the background of this guy. Uh, and it's not until season six you even learn that he has a wife because he, he, he yeah. just presents a professional front at all times. Every time you meet Howard Hamlin in this show, he is at work. He's he's being mm. a lawyer and he's he's interested just in that. And um, yeah. he is played masterfully by uh, Patrick Fabian, who, if you haven't seen it, stars in a movie called The Last Exorcism, which is a found footage exorcism movie uh, where he plays a preacher who is cynical about the act of exorcisms and just has, doesn't believe in exorcisms anymore. And then is obviously, because it's a horror movie, is brought to realise that maybe there is some truth to demonic possession. Mm. He's so good in it. He deserves to star in more films. Uh, I, I think Patrick Fabian is incredible and he's so good in this role. And he lights, every time he turns up in Better Call Saul, he lights up the screen with his electric performance of Howard Hamlin in my opinion what what do you think of Howard who is Howard Howard is uh is a lawyer in the HHM thing one of the partners even one of the partners uh you 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 start disliking him at the beginning because you you think that he's the guy that's against Jimmy but he's not and so then he kind of grows in you a little bit 
but then you know he he's also a lawyer so he also is always tries to do things for himself is perfect always extremely well dressed yep. extremely perfect tan and hair yep. and car yep. and everything big shiny teeth yeah and you think that his life is perfect until season 6 when he goes to a you know he he's goes in and therapy, seeks help he's, he's, yeah, he's in therapy married, his marriage isn't which working is, and that's the thing like but the 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 show is so well written that when you find out he's got a wife you don't you don't go oh i've never seen her i just i never i was like oh he has a wife yeah 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 um and his downfall in season six was done with such charm because he's such a charming character <laughs> in a way yeah and uh yeah he's uh amazing yeah, right? He's great. And mm-hmm. yeah, with like one of the greatest moments in Better Call Saul is that slow realization that 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 Howard isn't against Jimmy really. Yeah. He's he's doing he he respects Chuck. He will do literally anything for Chuck and yeah. if it's he's a nice guy. Yeah. And that's the problem. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. But also he's a lawyer, so he's yeah, not a nice he's a, guy. He's a lawyer, so you have to yeah. put, like, as a lawyer, for a lawyer, he is ultimately a nice guy. He cares about Kim. He wants Kim to do well in her yeah. career. He cares about Jimmy. He wants Jimmy to do well in life. But he also idolises Chuck. And if Chuck says no to Jimmy at all times, then he will he will, he will, will play that out for Chuck. And yeah. um, when... We'll talk about it more next time, but when... when, when um, uh, Kim and Jimmy start to, to an- enact their plan against uh, Howard and in the episode where it all starts to play out and you see Howard really losing it and, and going mad and there's that one scene of that deposition where that that judge comes in and Howard is just like <coughs> well, and he, and he completely sort of uh, starts to lose it in front of everyone yeah. it's just amazing and yeah, again, Patrick mm-hmm. Fabian played it perfectly and apparently uh, during some seasons of Better Call Saul, uh, Bob Odenkirk, Greer Seahorn, and Patrick Fabian all lived in a house together uh, during what? shooting. Yeah, and would um, play out scenes uh, over supper the night before they were shooting and stuff in the house and talk about character choices and stuff. And that sounds like the greatest house in the world. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and th- like that kind of like makes you remember that he is sort of in in some respects. A, He's a bigger player than you remember, I think, Howard Hamlin in Better Call Saul. Mm. He's, he's there all the time. And I think a big part of his character inspires the ultimate character of Saul Goodman. Like, he's a big, larger-than-life, shiny, mm. tanned guy. And that's element, not all of that, but elements of that and are brought in and magnified by Jimmy to create the character of Saul Goodman. And, um, mm. yeah, I just think that he's great. Having talked about the law side of things, the legal side of things... Better Call Saul also introduces us and starts to take us through. And, and, and they didn't need to do this, really, because the show is called Better Call Saul and the links to Saul are tenuous a lot of the time with this side of the show. But it mm. starts to show us the world of uh, crime, organised crime, in the Albuquerque um, scene, which is what Walter White will in a few years sort of enter yeah. into and start to blow up and, and, and carve in his own image. And uh, that really starts with another character who I would maybe choose as my favourite if you push me, Nacho. Nacho Varga, played by Michael Mando. 
I loved Nacho. I, he he was the most problematic character. Like, <laughs> oh, it made me so sad. Nacho is incredible, and in in season six, uh, incredible scenes all around. He's just this guy who he makes these. He he, you know, he wants to be in the world of organized crime. He wants to yeah. be a drug pusher. He wants to do these things. He's not a good person morally. No. But he wants, he loves his dad. He adores his dad. He wants so to look much. after his dad. And yeah. ultimately, that determination to protect his dad from the world that he's found himself in. Because he does sort of quite quickly start to realise that this is not a good world to be in. No. But he's at that point in too deep to get out. And throughout the six seasons, the walls just close in on him more and more and yeah. more. And his, his escape routes from where he is are blocked off one at a time until mm. this incredible episode early in season six where it all sort of comes to a head and his story ends but not without one final truly incredible speech yeah. uh, from um from michael mando and yeah michael mando is a great actor he yeah. iconically played the villain in a video game called far cry 3 um mm. where they mo- motion captured his face so he looks like that char- the character oh. looks like michael mando and that's mm. kind of where a lot of people first saw him uh, and then he showed up in the amazing no the Spider Man Homecoming movie, playing mm. um the character that should become Scorpion, and I hope they bring him back at some point because to see him in an MCU movie would be great. But yeah, this performance is um Nacho is great, and early on the scenes where he is dealing with that guy I can't remember his name I think it's called Colin Prost. He ended up being in What We Do in the Shadows, but he basically drives the pussy wagon from um Kill mm. Bill, and he wants okay. to sell something I don't know anyway. Mm. He's great, and that's all great, and Nacho is great, and um, yeah, he kind of is. Uh, he get ends up being controlled by these larger figures than him. Uh, the first of which is we get a couple of characters now that we knew and loved in Breaking Bad: Mike Ehrmantraut, played by Jonathan Banks. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the fixer of Gus Fring. We initially meet him in Better Call Saul before he's really involved in crime, uh, working in a parking attendant booth in the courthouse. Yep that jimmy works in and um it takes a couple of seasons but we learn pretty early on about his past as a police officer yeah. uh, he was a corrupt police officer it ended up getting his son killed and basically destroyed his life and he's now dedicated yeah. his life to um making sure that his son's widow and his grandson are or granddaughter is it sorry are uh, looked yeah. after and protected and yeah. um he never sleeps no he doesn't sleep he's like he, he is sleep. like a shark yeah. Um, yeah. Just constantly moving. And um, yeah, we sort of get to learn and see how he ends up being involved with Gustavo Fring, um, the chicken man. And um, it's just Jonathan Banks just has this quiet charisma about him oh, where love him. every scene he's in, you just kind of love him. Um, what happens to him in Breaking Bad, I was just so upset about. Yeah, but it's a great scene where he's like, he finally is just like, shut up to Walter because yeah. Walter's doing his whole like oh, oh I've got to do this because of this and, da, 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 da. Yeah. and Mike's just like just you've killed me Shut. you've killed me I'm dying can you just stop and Shut. let me die yeah. and leave yeah. me to die um, and like it's it's sad but also good on Mike for, for right up until yeah. the end having absolutely no time for Walter White and his nonsense um, yeah. and we get a couple of scenes in the end of season 6 where we see Early on, what Walter, what Mike immediately thought of Walter, and um, 
if only yeah. if only Saul had listened to him then maybe a lot of things could have been avoided but he didn't that's one thing about that I always keep about Breaking Bad the amount of like work that it took to build an empire and then this self-righteous person comes and just destroys and messes everything up yeah. from every side is ridiculous yeah, he just water white <laughs> is the worst person ever <laughs> yeah he ruins everyone's lives he's, yeah, he's awful he does. Yeah. um yeah i love him all right uh and then of course uh i think by season three of better call saul we are brought into the world of the people running this crime empire and that big one of that is gustavo frank yeah um, love him yeah is that love him but go on he he makes he, he makes me think why do people do this like he's constantly scared he's got all the money and he but he's just why is he, why are you doing this yeah why <laughs> well yeah from breaking bad we learned that it was ultimately because he wanted to be able to get to a point where he could um get revenge on the big boss of the yeah cartel. yeah but it's a, it's a lot of work for it, it is a lot of work <laughs> um yeah, yeah gustavo is um just a singularly focused character on build, yeah. building this uh drug empire and one day being able to take out the Salamancas. Whereas you're right, he, he runs a successful chicken restaurant. He could be he could happily just do that. Uh, and yeah. probably be reasonably successful, but no, he 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 won't. So that is uh that's Gus. And then finally a character that was introduced very late in the second half of the run of the show. Um but ultimately ended up being pretty integral and um incredible Lalo yeah. Lalo Salamanca. Lalo Lalo oh Salamanca. What did you think of Lalo? Another very confusing character because you you guys so charming yeah and you want to love him but also he's evil he's, he's a really really evil. bad guy yeah 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 he's horrendous and but he's so charming that he you just go oh and he's I mean she, it's an amazing character yeah um very scary. Yeah, because um, he will just... I mean, you've you've seen Sicario, haven't you? That movie, Sicario. Yeah, And yeah. they talk a lot in that about how Mexican drug cartel people are just ruthless. They will they will yeah. do anything. They do not care yeah. about any life. Yeah. Nothing is sacred to them. And Lalo is, more so ruthless. than just about anyone else, an embodiment of that idea of, like, yeah. he is this Mexican cartel man who will just do anything to get what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is brutal. There's a scene in one season where he murders somebody in a shop for basically no reason at all yeah. um and then when he when he gets caught for it he he just doesn't almost doesn't care because he knows he can get out of it because he knows yeah. that he's got that power um and the, the showdown that ultimately unravels between him and gus is um pretty electric i didn't like him when he first turned up because i was a bit like oh they just dealt with some salamancas they like they kind of deal with um is it tio salamanca yeah uh and he ends up going to prison and the hector gets uh, mm. paralysed and I was like oh we can move on from the Salamancas now and do explore other things but then Lalo gets introduced and I was a bit like oh we're just kind of repeating this cycle but no he ends up being so charismatic and so fascinating that yeah, um, he's great and also um, you know that first episode of Breaking Bad that, that Saul Goodman appears in where he's taken out into the desert by Jesse and Walt and um, put in front of that open grave and he starts yelling about Lalo and is it Lalo? Is this anything to do with Lalo? And um, I guess flashing out that background about who Lalo yeah. is, is was pretty exciting. And yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, 
And the guy that plays him, whose name is... Very, it's a to, uh, Tony Dalton. Tony Dalton. He sounds like a crooner from the 60s or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's great. And did you watch Hawkeye on Disney Plus? Yeah. I thought they made a great yeah, use he's... of, like, you ex- You now expect him to be a bad guy and stuff. And they yeah, really did but he... masterfully yeah. Yeah, played that off in um, Hawkeye. Where he's actually yeah. really likeable. Yeah, genuinely, but likable genuinely. He's not bad at all. In, in no, no, time. but you go, oh, it's going to be bad. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Yeah, this and guy's like, bad. No. I've seen Bear Call Saul. I know this guy's a bad. Yeah. This guy's a bad guy. No, yeah. he's fine. Um, and those are really broadly the the big characters in Bear Call Saul. Uh, all of them fantastic. All of them played wonderfully by their actors. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to quickly just nip through seasons one to five and and go over the big story beats. Uh, and that will leave us ready to talk in depth about season six. Uh, next time so season one introduces the kettlemans that awful couple that jimmy um ends up uh ruining the lives of uh with the, yeah. the quiet husband and the wife who's just desperate for money um jimmy also meets the salamancas in season one which sets that all off and also discovers the rot at the center of the sandpiper uh, retirement home which is a huge thing that will go on in, across multiple seasons but in season one he teams up with chuck to uh, do this big sandpiper settlement and chuck takes it from him and hands it fully to hhm which is the first massive betrayal um yeah that's the thing about chuck he's just so hor- horrendous yeah like maybe jimmy would have been like this would have been the the right boost for jimmy to be a good guy yep but no but and it's no. it's heartbreaking the scene where they've taken it to HHM and Jimmy's just assuming that he's going to work on it with HHM and they're like, no, this is ours now. You will get your money at the end. Um, yeah. And that's the other thing is they're not taking the money away from him. He's still going to get that big payout, which ultimately is what we can assume fuel funds his uh, start as Saul Goodman. But yeah, and that and I think that's the thing with with Jimmy McGill from the start. I think he he wants the fame more than anything. Yeah. He wants the the well done. I think I think that's what he needs. He needs somebody to just say you've done a great job. Yeah. But he also wants a million dollars today rather than ten million dollars in five years. Yeah. Like he wants it yeah. now. He will not. I would wait. like ten. I would like a million dollars today. I'd wait the five years though. I mean, like ten million dollars. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's season one. Season two uh, brings in Mesa Verde, the bank. Uh, who are working initially with Chuck to uh, settle some new land. They want to expand their business. Uh, Jimmy does a very naughty thing and changes the address of uh, the location that they want to uh, take um, in a big photocopying scam to embarrass Chuck. Uh, Mesa Verde end up removing themselves from Chuck and going with Kim instead. Um, Kim knows, and this is a big test for Kim early on because she knows what Jimmy's done. And she allows it to happen and starts to enjoy the antics, um, the criminal antics, uh, and enjoys the feeling of getting away with being a little bit naughty, which again, will go yeah. through. But the amazing thing is, every time Jimmy does something, people know that he's done it. They just can't prove it. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Chuck knows that he's done it. <laughs> yeah. Chuck knows, and but he just, it just doesn't know, he doesn't know how to prove it because it's such an elaborate. Yeah, you'd be Scam. like, why would anybody do that? That's insane, exactly. what you're suggesting. Yeah. And it's the same yeah. with um, Howard in season six. It's the same thing, really. In terms yeah. of, like, no one's going to believe that they went to those lengths, but they did. Um, ah, as w- also, we didn't mention, but the, and I can't remember the character's name, but Ed Begley Jr. plays um, a lawyer 
the lawyer that they try to fool. Oh, yes. He, that character is wonderful as well, just as yeah. a side note. I yeah. really like that performance. Um, yeah. Season two also ends with Mike attempting to assassinate Tia Salamanca, but is stopped by someone. Who could it be? Oh. A certain chicken shop owner who's uh, got his own ideas for what he wants to happen with Tio Salamanca. Which takes into season three, where Mike and Gus finally meet, and we are introduced to Gustavo Fring, uh, the earlier version of him in Better Call Saul. Uh, Kim is now working full-time for Mesa Verde, and this leads to her crashing a car because she's exhausted, because she cannot do it. Uh, That scene was so intense. Absolutely. Really incredible. I'm just like, don't, don't, just <laughs> and don't fall asleep. No, but she does, and it's horrible. Um, but, you know, it gives us a lot of insight into the kind of determination that she has at that point to be, mm. you know, to prove that she can be good and can prove that she can be a good lawyer. Uh, we also have one of the best episodes of the entire run uh, in this season called Chicanery, where Jimmy tricks Chuck with a battery into um, proving publicly that he doesn't actually have an allergy to electricity. And Chuck mm. has to uh, acknowledge finally that it is a mental illness and it sort of destroys everything for Chuck. Uh, Chuck tells Jimmy he never really cared for him, he didn't really like him, which is a brutally awful thing to t- say to a member of your family. And um, yeah. sort of unable to live with everything that's gone down, Chuck ends up taking his life in the form of a house fire at the end of season three. Yeah. Which is sad. Uh, but that sh- that shows you how proud he is that instead of knowing acknowledging his mental health and maybe getting better he just yeah doesn't mm. it's sad but uh but sometimes with Jimmy you just wish he just wouldn't do these little scams you just go you could just you can work things out without scamming people yeah. but he just no. Yeah. Then we go into season four, where the um the crime side of things starts to take a larger role. Uh, Nacho starts to catch the attention of Gus Fring, who starts to make him uh, involved in the war between him and the Salamancas as a bit of a double mm. agent, which uh, is one of those early warning signs that Nacho should really get out of there, but he doesn't, um, because he's scared of what might happen to his dad. Uh, this is the season where Gus hires a team of Germans to begin to create a meth lab underneath a laundromat, <sighs> which is incredible to learn the it's, origins of that. Yeah, um, when that location. happened, it's like, what? Yeah. That's, that's it. Oh, it's so exciting. Um, and the, the scenes of that group of German people uh, going slowly mad uh, yeah. due to their sort of complete isolation as they're building this thing is great. And then, you know, Mike's sort of relationship he forms with Werner the um, leader of the the construction crew and then it ultimately has to kill Werner when he escapes and yeah it's uh, brutal stuff um, this whole the all these antics that Gus is doing to try and build this thing result in the attention of Tio's replacement Lalo being brought to Gus and Lalo takes a very immediate disliking of Gus and kind of sees him for who he is pretty quickly um, yeah but similar to what we were talking about a minute ago with um, Jimmy and his antics, no one on the Salamanca side believes Lalo when he says that Gus is up to no good because Gus makes a lot of money for the um, cartel. Yeah. So none of them will are willing to accept that Gus could potentially be uh, working against them. Uh, but Lalo sets this sets Lalo off on his uh, mission to kind of prove that Gus is up to no good, which again comes to a head in season six. Um, Jimmy has been uh, barred from uh, practicing law 
due to the events of season three at this point. So he's now selling phones, which gives him the idea of selling uh, drop phones to criminals. Um, <laughs> and he begins his uh, rise as Saul Goodman. By the end of the season, he's allowed to practice law again. And to the shock of Kim, he uh, decides that his name is now Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman. Um, season five, uh, the penultimate season, uh, things really start to come to a head. Lalo is now making Nacho work for him in his efforts to take down Fring, which makes Nacho like a triple agent uh, or a quadruple <laughs> agent or who knows what. Uh, Lalo is arrested for murdering the uh, shop assistant in season four. Um, he gets Jimmy to be his lawyer, uh, who wins him bail with a fake family in a, a pretty like morally bankrupt uh, moment. Um but then is he morally bankrupt or was he actually scared for his life? Oh, he's life? scared for his life. But when it, in yeah. season six, when, when people kind of find out what Jimmy did, when they realise who Lalo really is, he really, like, people turn against him at the courthouse in a big way because it's like, this guy's murdered people and you've got him, like, this is bad. And he lied and said yeah. he had a family and all sorts of things. Uh, the, ba- the bail of $7 million can only be paid f- um, if Jimmy goes into the desert to get the money, which is another iconic moment from the series. Um, he obviously ends up in a lot of trouble and Mike saves the day and the scenes of them uh, wandering through the desert almost dying of thirst are um, some of the best in the show and we know that because they come back to it in some flashbacks in season 6 um, mm. uh, Lalo obviously makes bail and immediately escapes to Mexico where an assassination attempt is made by Gus he survives it in a pretty thrilling moment but we also know that this could spell the end for Nacho because the only way this assassination attempt could have happened if, is if Nacho is working for Gus and Lalo knows that. So that sort of makes us pretty nervous for our favourite boy uh, going into season six. Um, Kim uh, gets an attack of conscience and starts to work against Mesa Verde and assist a man from being evicted from his property uh, in, the, uh, in their attempts to um, buy his land. And uh, Jimmy helps... Kim and again uses some pretty underhanded tactics to uh, keep the construction crews away from this man's house and uh, Kim in her determination to allow Jimmy to continue practicing law in the slightly morally bankrupt way that he does proposes that they should get married so that they cannot testify against each other uh, due to spousal protections and that is where season six takes off with Nacho cornered and on the run with Kim and Jimmy married, with Chuck long dead, and with Howard firmly in the sights of um, Jimmy and Kim as somebody who they want to take down a couple of pegs, and with Lalo and Gus on a on a collision course where one of them is going to yeah. die. And if you've seen Breaking Bad, you know really what the likely outcome is, but it's still pretty nerve-wracking. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <sighs> so... That is Better Call Saul, a quick insight recap of the past few seasons. And next week we will be going in depth because we've overrun quite a bit today. Uh, we'll be going in depth next week into season six. Yeah. Yeah, and talking through the events therein. Uh, it was a pretty mad season. We haven't even mentioned all the flashbacks throughout seasons one to five that come to a head in season six as well. But yes. each season historically opened with a, a black and white flash forward even not a flashback to um Saul's mm. post breaking bad life as the manager of a Cinnabon and um I love I love that they're so simple that they did the flash forward in black and white yeah but it and the flash and the past in in color yeah but it all pays off in um season 6 
yeah. yeah, and they do some beautiful stuff with it. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that. Uh, if I was so one final push, please do um, get in touch with us with any opinions you have, any views you have about anything we talked about, or anything you'd like us to do in the future. Uh, our social media and email links are all in the show notes for this and every episode, along with uh, um, lists of everything we've discussed in Culture Catch on my tube. So please do go and read those. And uh, please do, please, please do go and rate and review us on all the social media platforms. If you had a recommendation for next week, for, if you had a recommendation from Culture Catch Up that people should watch, Alex, you'll have to keep it for a moment because it's my turn to go first. And I would yes. recommend <laughs> that people watch the movie Fall because it's a lot of fun. And um, also the uh, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power on Amazon Prime Video. I think it's pretty fun. I think it's good. I like going back to that world. And it's interesting to see, you know, Game of Thrones is back with its very violent, very sexualized version of a medieval fantasy world. And to see the more wholesome um, yeah. side of things covered with Lord of the Rings at the same time is um, an interesting sort of... Um, you know, different flavours of fantasy that we're getting at the moment and both of them are pretty great, I think. So, yeah, go and watch Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power and just make your own mind up. Um, yeah, what about you, Alex? Uh, uh, I would recommend uh, the film How It Ends. Good. And <sighs> definitely uh, King Princess's new album, Hold On Baby. Hold On Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Stop talking about Mark Ronson. <laughs> It's only one track and it's the last one. Nepotism. <laughs> Nepotism. What are you talking about? His, his dad was in David Bowie's band. Was he? He's only oh. got where he is in life because his dad was in David Bowie's band. No, come if on. He's got a problem up. with that. Don't he can that. come and tell me himself. Um. <laughs> so. You're silly. Uh, how do you think he knew Amy Winehouse and other famous musicians that he could make all those albums when he was a producer early on in his career? Was it because his dad was a famous musician and he grew up in the world of music industry already? I think it might have been. Oh, Stupid stop idiot. Stop it. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed uh, today's episode all about Better Call Saul and uh, it's been so much fun to be with you for a few hours again and please come back and join us in a couple of weeks to go over the events of season six of Better Call Saul. Uh, if you haven't yet got there, watch it. It's the best show ever. Um, and yeah, we can't wait to be with you again in the future. Thank you so much. And good to you. Thank forever. you. Bye. Bye.